Restaurant Unstoppable episode 1043 with Chef Mark Forgione. Well, listen, I just named my hospitality group Respect Hospitality. And the reason I, I wanted to do that is because I, th- I think the word respect, not only in the hospitality industry, but just in life, you know, if, if you do, if you act with respect towards whatever you may be doing, whether it's giving somebody some prosciutto and, and espresso or opening the door for somebody or, you know, respecting the way you say hello to somebody, like it goes on and on and on and on. The word never, ne- the word never doesn't make sense when you plug it into something, so. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode brought to you by Owner.com. Owner.com is the leading all-in-one platform for restaurant marketing. Owner.com powers everything from SEO-optimized websites, direct online ordering, automated email and text marketing, built-in loyalty programs, zero commission delivery, and branded mobile apps for your restaurant that's integrated right into your POS. With Owner.com, there's no contract, no hidden fees, and nothing to lose. Join thousands of restaurant owners using Owner.com to grow direct online sales, save thousands in third-party fees, and simplify their online ordering presence all in one. Book a free demo today at owner.com slash unstoppable and see why owner.com is the number one rated restaurant marketing software. This episode made possible by Restaurant Technologies, Inc. RTI's Total Oil Management automates your entire cooking oil process. With Total Oil Management, you get dependable fresh bulk cooking oil delivery, filtration plus oil usage monitoring and reporting, easy oil disposal, use cooking oil pickup and recycling, and say goodbye to messy, dangerous restaurant rendering tanks. Yuck. RTI's end-to-end cooking oil system helps you manage your used cooking oil disposal, storage, collection, and recycling conveniently, safely, and cleanly with no upfront cost. Restaurant Technologies, Inc. is always on, so you don't have to be. To learn more, head to rti-inc.com and let them know Restaurant Unstoppable Podcast sent you their way. This episode is brought to you by Margin Edge. Margin Edge is a restaurant management software that helps you see your food and your labor costs in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. Just snap a picture of your invoice and Margin Edge will process them within 24 to 48 hours with line item detail, including handwritten adjustments. This allows you to save hours on paperwork so you can spend more time creating great guest experience. Head to marginedge.com slash unstoppable to sign up for a free demo today. That's marginedge.com slash unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit. Profit, more butts and seats, and that's not it. If you are interested in this, head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com/rsp.
RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, chef owner of Peasant One Fifth Restaurant, Mark Forgione, and also a partner at Keo, Chef Mark Forgione. My man, are you feeling unstoppable today? Feeling great, man. Monday morning, Dude, got a little chill in the air. I know. Nice I love bike it. ride over here. I you love, know? What kind of bike was that, by the way? I saw you roll in. I meant to ask before we got started. Uh, it's a Royal Enfield. W- w- what's the story behind it? Is that like an American bike or English, British? Um, it's an English bike. They, they make them in uh, India. Oh man! Um, yeah, you know, I'm I'm kind of like a vintage type guy, and like if you look at the bike, it like you know. Yeah, dude, it's, it's, it's a, a, I meant to compliment your bike earlier. And thank it's, you. It's a, it's a beautiful bike for sure, and I can't wait to dive into who you are, how you got to where you are today. Just in my one hour of research, I give myself before every episode. I know that you came up in a family of chefs. You're like a generational thing. Uh, I know that you're the youngest Michelin star, American Michelin star winner, at 30 years old. Is that correct? It was. And again, you know, I don't know how the facts work out. Somebody told me one day that, uh, and it wasn't the youngest chef. It was the youngest chef and owner. Oh, got it. So technically I got the star for the work I did when I was 29 years old. And you've surrounded yourself with some amazing chefs along the way. So I know there's going to be some gold in today's conversation. I cannot wait to dive into it, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Well, listen, I just named my hospitality group Respect Hospitality. Um, and the reason I, I wanted to do that is because I, th- I think the word respect, not only in the hospitality industry, but just in life, you know, if, if you do, if you act with respect towards whatever you may be doing, whether it's giving somebody some prosciutto and, and espresso yeah, it was delicious, or opening the door for somebody or, you know, respecting the way you say hello to somebody. Like it goes on and on and on and on. The word never, ne- the word never doesn't make sense when you plug it into something. So it's weird how we take certain words for granted. There's a certain words that are a common word. Like respect is such a common word, but like I feel like it means different things to different people. So sure. for you, it's it's taking the time to like what is like the definition of respect for you? For me, again, it's just paying attention to and acknowledging, you know, the moment of, of what you're doing when you're doing it, you know, and again, it could be anything, it, you know, for me, it's, you know, I, I respect the the moment of walking my son to school in the morning, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, uh, you know, when, when we wake up, you know, respecting saying good morning, I love you. <laughs> yeah. I feel like what I'm hearing, if I'm reading between the lines, it's the, it's the, the, the decency to be present and to see somebody. Is what I'm hearing. Yeah, especially in today's world, you know, the being present is. (laughs) Yeah, it's harder and (laughs) harder to do. The hardest time in the history of of humanity to be present. Why do you say that? Well, just with all the things that are trying to get us away from you know being present. You know what I mean? Like there are people's jobs that are literally to get you to be distracted right. on your phone and they're like, really they're, good at it and they're <laughs> they they so good at it like beyond the point of our that's a whole other podcast we oh can man do. but you're hitting a chord with me man this is if you know my listeners are gonna go oh god here he goes again no it's you're hitting a really important thing this is why i'm so hopeful for the restaurant industry because it's one of the few i think industries that are that exist to force people away from those platforms and to be present yeah. and to, to sit across there's a reason why i drive my ass across the country to sit across the table from somebody it's just not the same to, yep. to, to, yeah, to see somebody me. through a screen like there's so much that happens in in person i think that we we took it for granted for so long and there's a reason why people are so depressed and unhappy right yeah. now you know? i listen covid kind of put 
I get that. Put it everything like put it into fifth gear. Like it was already heading there. And yeah. then COVID was like, okay, we are going to teach everyone how to be attached to the screen and stay in your house. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I hope that we kind of wake up and, and, and start to realize what it means to be human again. I think we will. Yeah, I hope so, man. Uh, but where does it make sense to start sharing your story, man? Because you have a, a journey. You started young. You, did you know young that this is what you wanted to do? No, no. Um, I think sometimes people get the wrong idea. Like, you know, oh, this is what I was going to do from the moment I was born and I was, you know, trained you know, from, from childhood. Um, and it actually, it's probably the exact opposite. Um, you know, I don't think I ever once said when I was a kid, you know, you know, when, you know, they asked you, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know what I mean? I, I never said chef. And then even as I got older, I don't know, I always thought I was going to do something in music. Um, you got rock star vibes. Yeah, I just listen. I, I always, I always say the same thing. I'm a much better cook than I am a guitar player. <laughs> but, <laughs> I think, I think I always wanted to be in a band, and I tried a couple times. And you know, like I said, to be honest, and it, I have no problem saying it. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's not like something I do as a profession. I now play at home, and I enjoy it. And um, you know, but the, you know, when I, when I tried to go for it, it just wasn't in the cards. Um, but anyway, the point I'm trying to make is like I didn't think I was going to be a chef so what I started to do you know the way that my parents kind of raised us you know what I mean like once I was like old enough to to make money or have a job you know they they wanted me to have a job you know instead of them just giving me money you know right. what I mean so um but you both your parents were chefs I think I, I they myself- met at culinary school okay but my mother uh she took care of us my dad was in the in the restaurants and my dad was you know working a lot he had us young i was he was 24 i think when i was born so yeah. you know he, the next 15 years were my 15 years of life yeah he was you know creating the american <laughs> landscape for chefs i mean you know so he was working a lot yeah um, and your grandfather too right was a no, chef. No, no, no 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 he was just a good cook just, okay so it was just like a generation and my great-grandmother thing. was an amazing cook and like you know we my my grandfather is a hundred percent italian so and he was obviously the the patriarch of the family so like we kind of grew up with like the italian you know uh, food was like it's just front and center, life. you know. Yeah. What I mean? yeah, like for you know, when, my dad's were, second generation Italian, and I get it, man. Yeah, like so he wakes know. up and he's like, he's eating breakfast. His plate's not even clear, and he's like, "What's for dinner?" Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and you know, family gatherings <laughs> yeah. with just food everywhere. You know, what I mean, like everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And so, like, we grew up that way. Um, but and I didn't have anything against being a chef. I just didn't want to be a chef. You know what I mean? Um, right. And then as I got into my, like I said, teenage years. You know, I, my my first real like job, I think I was, uh, I mean, I was driving, so I must have been seventeen. Um, and it was at this place called the Hofstra University Club, you know. And I was like, you know, it started as a busboy, and then I ended up becoming a, a bartender and a server, and um, you know, like kind of did that. And then right around that same time, same kind of thing, you know, I I, I wanted you know, money. And my dad was like, well, why don't you come and help in the restaurant? And I said, okay, cool. Um, but you know, even at that age, like, I don't think I understood how important and how, um, upscale my dad's restaurants were, you know what I mean? Like 
just because when I was when I was in it, it was just dad's restaurant, right. you know, just like as if you know. I'm sure my son looks at me now, like you know, he, he just this dad's restaurant. Yeah, you know that's I mean? that's their their point of reference. That's normal. It's, right. It's, it's, it's not one of the best restaurants in yeah. the country. It's just dad's restaurant. You right. know what I mean, so um, and where was this? Uh, it was on Thirty uh, Second and Park. Okay, so New- in Manhattan. <clears throat> it was in Manhattan, New York City. Um, and at the time, it was like you know one of the top ten American restaurants, like. In the country, I mean, That's awesome. and you know, he was very pivotal in um, being proud to be American. And you know, you have to remember in his era, you couldn't be uh, serious or taken seriously as a chef unless you were, you know, basically French. Mm. Um, and him and a bunch of other people, you know, Alice Waters and Dean Faring and Paul Perdome and, um, um, you know, Bradley Ogden and Mark Miller. And, you know, these are all American chefs that like kind of carved the way for their, the next generation. Right. Um, but again, so because of all that, you know, he was, he worked a lot. Um, and when I started to work in the restaurant, again, I just thought it was dad's restaurant, but I didn't realize I was like, even just by osmosis working with these young, talented chefs that were in that kitchen. I mean, you know, now as I got older, you know, yeah. I, I would go work somewhere else and I was like, holy shit. Like right. that was like, you know, you guys do that. Like well, we would never do that <laughs> at an American place. You know what I mean? Like, and like the, we'll go back to the word respect, which I'm sure we're going to hear a lot over the next hour. You know, the, the ingredients there were so pristine and thoughtful and, uh, wild and natural. And, you know, like everybody likes to bring up Noma these days. Like if you look at the stuff that was on the, the menu at an American place, like there was there was foraging and preserving going on in the mid eighties, you know, never mind ten years ago. Mm. Um But anyway, so I spent summers there again, not realizing I was being trained the way I was being trained. Um then I went to college and every summer in between I would work at you know, whether it was above, which was an amazing experience with um, Chef Cazuto and his wife, Vicky, um, uh, with Gavin uh, at the grill room um, at an American place, like I said. And like, I think I realized one day at college, I took my sophomore year off. I went to California. I thought I was going to be like a surfer you know, lifeguard, like live in Baywatch kind of thing. Um, found out real quick that that was not going to happen. Um, ran out of money. Was it's like expensive. was like essentially homeless living on a beach. That's the time to do it. <laughs> yeah, and it was fun. I'm, I'm not, you know, it was a lot of fun. We're going to desert raves and like, but we just like, you know, my buddy and I, you know, literally like ran out of money. We we're like, well, okay, like we got to go home. I mean, I encourage people when they're young to go do that because yeah. you can go home. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like the, we were, we were, we were literally my, my buddy and I, who now is very successful, by the way, um, we were sleeping on a, a convertible couch in this like three bedroom house that we shared with two construction workers. Dude, that's <laughs> the dream. I'm trying to make that my <laughs> life right crazy. now. I literally <laughs> yesterday morning, I, I moved out of my, my, my apartment and I'm committed to 100% on the road right now. This yeah. is my first interview of just living on the road. Ah, man. Cool, so man. I respect you. that man and what you're doing. I think there's something to be said. It's, it's a cool lifestyle, but I, I, I did notice that you went to school for hotel and restaurant. Well, management. that's where I was getting. So, oh, okay. So I, well, I didn't originally, I went, I went to UMass What'd you originally to go play, to? I went to UMass Amherst to basically because I wanted to play lacrosse there. I played lacrosse in Got high it. school. Um, 
and then that didn't work out. I think my first major was psychology. I think. I mean, I'm, I'm, which is funny because, you know, not to jump way ahead, but when you become the chef owner of a couple oh restaurants, you essentially become a psychiatrist. Oh my, I was gonna say, I've, <laughs> I've noticed a, for sure there's a correlation between people who focus on either sociology or psychology and understand people. That's a that that's a skill, man. Oh yeah, no, I sit down at least ten hours a week with somebody that needs to talk. Oh, about, for sure. You know, um. Anyway, so, um, you know, like I said, I, I majored in psychiatry, psychology. That didn't, you know, work out. I took the year off. And then I think when I came back, I was like a little bit of a hippie. So I majored in like forestry. And then um, I used to cook. And again, like I said, in between those summers and that year that I took off when I came back, I, I worked. That was my first time. I worked for like seven or eight months straight in a restaurant, which I'd never done before. And I, I, I always loved it. From like day one, and I, I think that's what did you love about it? that's like something you can't teach to to people. Yeah, did like you, sorry, I no. just loved I loved everything about it. I loved I loved hanging out with the guys after. I loved scrubbing the kitchen at the end of the night. I loved you know taking the cigarette break in between you know lunch and dinner service. The you know what I mean. I, I loved the the hot, sweaty, yelling craziness. Like it was like being on a pirate ship. Right, you know the culture I mean? of it all. Yeah, yeah. It, was just, it was awesome. And again, at the time, I'm a 19, 20 year old kid. Like, I'm hanging out in New York City. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, it was just like this is this is. You, you know, don't know awesome. what you have sometimes until you get away. Yeah, right. You know, I think yeah. it took getting away, getting a different perspective, getting into different kitchens to to get that perspective. Because, like you said, all you know, all you knew is what you knew, yeah. and that was high standards from the very beginning. The thoughts that were going through my head are, you're, you know, you're the average of the people you surround yourself. And I was also thinking of like outliers, like the the ten thousand hours, right? And, mm-hmm. and like you started young, and but you started young at a very high level because you had. And I want to say privilege, but I think privilege gets a bad rep. I yeah. think privilege is a good thing. Like, it's only bad if you don't recognize your privilege. Yeah. You know, and you don't do something with your privilege. Right. And, and, and that's what I, I preface this with. I think some people have this like, and again, I think it's it's hurt and probably does still hurt me a little bit with my reputation. Is people think that it was like this like, you know, like golden spoon yeah. like you know like childhood like no like we were you know trust me I'm not gonna like get into it but like. It, it was the exact opposite. Like right. there was no like luxury or like you're eating. the son of a restaurant owner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like there was, it was you know. Anyway, but um, so here I am. You know, I, I do the thing. I go back to school, um, and it just so happened <laughs> that the hotel restaurant management at UMass was like number three in the country after Cornell and the Florida. Culinary Institute. Oh. Um, and there was a moment I had, I used to cook for my buddies. They would give me like five bucks. I think we called it like five bucks in a dream or something. You know what I mean? Like, and I would go to the grocery store, depending on how many people gave me five bucks. Like, let's just say I had $30 and it was six of us and I would cook. Like, I don't know if you went to, you know, college, but you know, the, you don't eat well when you go. When you go away to school, I actually went to school at Daniel Webster College. I only say that to you because um, it was right over the border in Nashua, New Hampshire. So okay, I grew so, up in New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah, so but you know you get to school and like you know you're eating a lot of like fast food and you know da 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 da. So like to get a home cooked meal, and um, you know we would like do it like in like yeah. the best way we could. Like you know we would drink like nine dollar bottles of wine <laughs> and like you know. Whatever, but we would like, you know, invite our girlfriends over and like, you know, yeah. like light candles on the table. Like, you know, it was like, it was like we'd have fun with it, you know? Got it. 
And I'm doing one of these like dinner parties and I just had like this aha moment. I think I had like psych class the next day at like nine in the morning. And I'm like, I don't want to go to psych class. Like I want to do this. And like, it was almost like everything like was like, yeah, you know, like, and I'm not saying at that moment I was like, I'm going to be a chef, but I was like, I clearly enjoy doing this. And, you know, at the time I was by far and away the best cook out of all my friends. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I'm, I think I'm pretty good at it. Right. Like, why run away just because it's what dad does? Like, maybe I'll explore this. That was when I looked into the HRTA, enrolled in the HRTA. It's kind of a stupid, funny story, but I show up to the first day of, like, the cooking class at the HRTA. So what's the TM? Restaurant? I'm assuming it's restaurant. Um, Hotel, management. restaurant, and travel. Okay. Administration? Got it, got it. <laughs> I'm not really sure. Um but I show up to the first day of the cooking like class and you know, I can tell the poor teacher doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> so at the end of the class, like I pull him aside and I'm like, look, bro, give me an A and like, I'll show up like 20 minutes before and like, I'll, you know, I'll show you, you know, the How right to stuff. To the- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was just a kid himself, yeah. you know, he was like a TA or whatever they call it. Anyway. So, um, graduated from HRTA, you know, get it, got a degree, Again, the summers in between, always working at a restaurant. And then I uh, graduated school, 2000. And um, I do the whole backpacking through Europe thing, which was incredible. It was like before the Euro. So like, you know, you would like eat like kings in one country and yeah. then be poor in another country. And like, <laughs> it was just like, you know, and then when you found the countries that the dollar was good in, like you would stay there for a little longer than you should have. And but it was also the first time I saw like European culture. Mm. And I think, you know, we talk about respect, like the Europeans have like such a, a respect for eating and food and doesn't need to be fancy. They just, you know, the way that they do it, you know what I mean? You walk into somebody's house, they pour you a glass of water and they put food on the table and, you know, you sit down at a restaurant and, you know, they, whether you're wearing a T-shirt or a suit, you know what I mean? Like they, they treat you with the same, like it was like my first taste right. of that European hospitality. So earlier when, when you were talking about respect, when I was trying to, you know, decipher and read between the lines, it was about seeing people and being present, right? Yeah, 100%. So through that filter, when you're talking about how they were doing food there, was it about the food or was it about how they were feeding people? Both, everything. You know, the the way that they would... You know, like I said, just make eye contact with mm. you when when you sat down, you know, like sometimes in a nice restaurant, you know, you'll get like judged because maybe you're not dressed the way they didn't like I, in the places we were going to in Europe, like it was just hospitality and it wasn't because they were doing it so that they would be busy. They did it because they, they enjoy it. I just got back from Italy, like nothing's changed. It's the same, you know, I always joke it's because they've been doing it for a lot longer than us. So like they get it. <laughs> Well, I mean, like I think American culture, Western culture is so driven by consumerism about yeah, profitability, money, 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 how much volume, how much throughput, how many seats in that restaurant. And, yeah. and at the end of the day, yeah, you've got to pay your bills. You know, I get that you, you have to give security to your people and make sure they have like insurance and all this stuff. And that all costs money. But you can't do that stuff at the expense of losing sight of what it's all about. Yeah, that's tough. It's a tough. Yeah. Trust me, I'm in it. It's yeah, a tough. It's a hard balance. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard balance. Well, I was curious. So, earlier you were talking about... Um, how like you that that in home experience that you had with your friends where you went out and you pulled your resources and you'd cook a meal and invite your friends over your girlfriends over and that was kind of your aha moment um 
what about the people that that like warn against that? Like if you love cooking for friends and family, like the restaurant industry is not for you because it's not the same. Like where do you fall on that line? I'm curious. No, well, I mean, listen, I give that advice all the time, but that's more for like, like if you're an 18 year old kid and you love cooking for your friends and family, like go for it. Right. If you're, and again, I don't want to like, you know, say anything about like age, like whatever, but I mean, like if you're, like if you love cooking as a hobby and you already have a career, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like stick with your career and keep the cooking a hobby because, you know, the, um, it's especially in today's world. It looks so glamorous to be a right. chef, but that's another issue with the social media. Like, we, we come to, on. <laughs> it is the, paint this picture of reality. That's so far from reality. Don't get me wrong. I, I am like one of the very lucky people in this world that worked very hard to get my luck. But you know, the, to your point, like I think the chefs that you know, there are a million that you don't. Right. For every one that you do. Yeah. You know what I mean? But all like, you see it, is the ones yeah, that are shoved you do in is your face. You see those ones. So it's like, you know, it, it's tough. You right. got you got to make sure, and I said this before, that you absolutely love, and that's what you can't teach. Yeah. You have to be 110% in if you're going to be successful in this business, you right. can't just be like, ah, that looks like fun. Like, no, it's like, cause the fun doesn't happen for, for, for well, a long there's time. There's a lot of hands. And, and I, I take that back. Cause I, like I just said before, between no, the but I, I take that back. It is fun, but it's, you gotta like, you gotta like almost like earn the, you know, like I said, the, my first five years, I was having the time of my life. I right. was broke and sleeping on couches and you know what I mean? But I was having a, Blast, autonomy, though. You know what I mean? That's like a huge. blast. Yeah. So, so what, at what point did like your career really start to take off? I mean, you, you have this, this opportunity to surround yourself with amazing people out of the gate. So your standards are high out of the gates. Uh, I think the last thing that you, you mentioned, like is you, you graduated and you did, you were talking about your trip in, in Yeah. Europe. So I did this trip, which again, just kind of opened my eyes, I think to, you know, the, the culture world. And, yeah. you know, I knew I was going to come back to Europe to work. Okay. Um, how long were you on the road? It was the whole summer. Okay. Like f- whatever that was, 12 weeks. Yep. Um, you know, straight backpacking, sleeping in hostels and, um, it so, was, it was, you know, I, I, I think every American kid should do that. I know it's a little different now, but like, give me a favor before we dive into like the, the details of your career. Um, can you just like do super like 30,000 foot cruising at 600 miles an hour? I see that you, you went back to your dad's restaurant an American place for a little bit. You were with a, a woman called uh, Patricia. I'm going to have you say the names cause I'm, mm-hmm. I'm I, I got to screw up names. So Patricia, yo, well, this is what, so this is when I got back from that trip. My dad's sous chef had just either quit or got fired. Yeah. I didn't even get to unpack my bags. I, I swear to you, I didn't even get to unpack my bags. My dad's like, I, I need you to go help at an American place. And again, I think this was 2000 or 2001. And I basically worked for the next 10 years without stopping. Um, till I, How old were you? I was 20, 20, 21, 20 or 21. 30, you had earned your first Michelin star. So right, and that, but that's what I mean. Like I, I, I literally got... That trip was like, I hate to say my youth, but like, it like, it like kind of ended (laughs) and boom, I was working 70 hour weeks for the next 10 years. You know what I mean? Um, But anyway, so I came back from that trip, uh, went into an American place, uh, did that, I think for about a year, 
again, it's all kind of fuzzy these days, but, and then I met, uh, Patricia Yeo, um, which was a great experience. It was her and another chef named Pino Maffeo, um, who, who had a great career in Boston. Um, and I got to open a restaurant with them, which was, which was great. How long were you with them? Uh, on and off. Cause I think I came back a, a, a year and a half. Maybe what was two after years. that? Um, Laurent. There was Vicky and Cazuto. Then there was an American place. Then there was Patricia and Pino. And then, yeah, then Laurent took over, um, AZ. So I, I worked, uh, with Laurent Torndell. We opened, BLT steak together, which turned into like one of the most successful. Yeah, I saw that you helped travel and open up those steakhouses. But it's kind of it's kind of interesting. So I had already uh, written my letters to Europe of where I wanted to go or where I would like to go. Um, and Michel Gerard was an old school three Michelin star. He's still like kicking 90 years, years old. I saw <laughs> it's crazy. He's gone. It doesn't surprise me. Yeah. He was, he was in the, he was literally in the kitchen at when I was there, he was in the seventies. Wow. Still expediting and yelling. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and he's like this tall, the old brigade. Um, but he had such a presence. It was like when he would walk into the room, you just, <laughs> um, anyway, so I, I wrote my letters and they, they said yes. And, um, when Laurent took over AZ, it was just him and me in a kitchen for like a month. And it was like before there was any staff in. So like I got to work with Laurent Tornadel, who's, um, you know, he might not be one of those people that's all over Instagram that people know as a quote unquote celebrity chef, but I'm telling you pound for pound, like one of the most talented chefs, you know, to ever open a restaurant in New York. And I got I got four weeks with this guy one on one, wow. And he was asking me because you know he knew my history, you know it, it was his his everything he had done up to that point was French, and this was going to be his American brasserie steakhouse. So he's asking me like, how do you make barbecue sauce or what what do Amer- you know what's a, what's in what do you guys put in the a blue cheese vinaigrette. Like, you know what but I mean? That's like, a lesson right there that no matter who you are, what kind of experience you have, there's somebody who can teach you. A hundred percent. I mean, trust me, I, 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 love I that. took that with me. I, I take it with me to this day. I mean, I, I have no problem. I'll, I'll ask anybody, you know, for advice or dishes or whatever. Um, but anyway, so we opened BLT steak. Um, and rave reviews places, Packed, but I had already committed to going to uh, Michel Girard. So, and he knew that, and he wanted me to go. Um, so, I think I was I was only at BLT Steak for the first three or four months. But then you went to France and came back to BLT. So I went to France. I get to France again, three star Michelin. Like, you know, couldn't be more isolated. It was a two hour drive. I think in any direction. Like you, you didn't just like walk in. Like people yeah. came there, they stayed at the hotel, they ate at the restaurant. Like it was like a, you know, it was like an experience. Like this a, is where like the Michelin stars meet something where you're going to this place for this restaurant. That's it. No, <laughs> yeah. like literally, there was yeah. 400 people that lived in the town, yeah. and 390 of them worked in the, the compound. We'll call it. Yeah. You know, there were three or four restaurants on the property. Um, you know, world-renowned spa. Um, but anyway, so I worked at um, 
my way kind of around, you know, finally ended up at the, the it's called La Pre de Eugenie, the, the three star. You know, when I got there, I didn't speak any English. I mean, uh, French and nobody spoke English. Um, so it took me about three months before I could actually talk. Wow. So it was like, you know, I think Aaron Rodgers just talks about that silent dark retreat. Like I, I was basically <laughs> silent for like <laughs> months. <laughs> Um, and then once I could speak, that was when it kind of, everything yeah. started to move. But like before I could talk, like I couldn't do anything like that, you know, so I just had to like prep. But then I found out later that, cause there were other guys in the prep kitchen with me, but I found out later and I do this now is they watch how you prep before they decide which restaurant you can like go to, you know what I mean? Mm. And, um, you know, and all you're doing is peeling potatoes, peeling onions, peeling carrots. What are they looking for? Just, you know, the attention speed, attention, you know what I mean? The, you know, you, maybe your shoulders aren't shrugged because you're peeling potatoes. You know, it's, it's more like, yeah. I want to be here. I yeah. want to do this. You know, give me another case. Like, I got it. You know what I mean? Like, it was that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, it ended up, I think it was there that I said, to myself, you know, I had a lot of alone time there. Um, but it was there that I said, I'm, I'm going to be a chef. Mm. I want to be a chef. Yeah. I want to have my own restaurant. I want to, what was it about this experience that made you say this? Well, it's like I said before, when I was in New York, I was just on a, a pirate ship that was speeding through the the world. You know what I mean? Like, you know, drinking at, at night, every night and, Again, crashing on somebody's couch, you know, like working 15, 16 hour a day, you know, six days a week. Like there was no like, you know, it was, you know, like, you know, Anthony Bourdain's uh, Kitchen Confidential. Like it was literally that life. Right. So there wasn't even time to like kind of think. It was more just like, how, what am I going to do today? You know what I mean? So it changed in you at this, in this moment of being around in in this, in this village. It was the first time I stopped. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I had like this, you hear that? This is what my day off sounded like. <laughs> um, it so was like it was like going reflect. to it was like going to cooking camp. You okay. know what I mean? Like it was just and it was again one of the best restaurants in the world. The ingredients, yeah, the style of food, the way it's cooked. Um, you know, there was a wood burning grill which stuck with me. Um, you know, there were rotisserie suckling pigs which stuck with me. Um, what was the feeling you had? What were you feeling during this time when, when you had this moment? Like, what was it specifically that made you think this is... It went from hell to, to heaven mm. all in... Was there know, a tipping point? A year and a half. I told you, it was when I could finally... It, it was like out of a movie. All of a sudden, I was realizing that I could understand them. Mm. And it was like, everything went from like black and white to color. And once I could understand, then I could really kind of learn and participate and talk and become friends with them. Mm. And, you know, it went from like isolation, three months, give or take of isolation. And, you know, it was, it was hard. You know, I, I almost left. Together? I almost left a uh, year and a couple oh, wow. months. Wow. Um, so you basically had a year of like amazing time where you could like communicate. Oh yeah. No, it was time in my life. Yeah, I mean, amazing. you know, I ended up working the fish station with this guy. I don't know where he is now. His name was chef David and, Again, it's hard to put into words, but you know, to be a kid from New York, I was the only American there. Was were you living? So I mean, it sounds like you'd think that if you were out staging at this amazing restaurant, going to culinary school in the hotel and restaurant management school, 
I would say that you were living intentionally. Like this is the path you wanted, but it sounds like from you, like you were just kind of going for a ride at this point. And then it wasn't until this moment that you yeah, said, this was, is what I want. It was do. while I was in France that, wow. that, you know, I think I have it written down somewhere. Like I'm going to, how did you start living differently after this, this aha moment of this is, this is my path. This is what I want. Were you living more intentionally thereafter? I, th- I think so. Yeah. Cause now I had a goal. I didn't have what a goal. goal. My goal, my goal before I went to France was to work service. Yeah. Now it's what to what was the goal to open your own place to open my own restaurant. Okay, this is my only goal. There was never any anything other than I want to open my own restaurant. So I was going to have you go through and list all these experiences and, and talk about like what was it that you learned the most during these experiences. But I think is it I don't want to say you took these other experiences for granted, but it wasn't. Were you just kind of going through the motions prior to this point? No, I wouldn't say I was going through the motions. I was, you know, again, unless you unless you're. Like, unless you've experienced it, it's really hard to put into words. But when you're a 21-year-old kid, you're making $400 a week, your rent is $1,000 a month, you know, like you don't have the opportunity to do anything other than survive. Like mm. you're surviving. But you're also learning. Mm. And that's why I think it's, it's fulfilling. Yeah. And all you want to do, or at least all I wanted to do, was be back in the kitchen. Mm. You know what I mean? Like... They would, you know, like, I don't need a day off. Like, I just want to be in the kitchen. I want to be cooking. I want to be learning. I want to be, but until France, I didn't know why I wanted to learn and cook. I just, it felt good. Like it, it, it up to this point, but you still, I don't know if you still communicated the why thereafter. What was the why thereafter? There was just something that clicked in me that said, while I was there, again, it was a lot of alone time a Is lot of then? we'll call it we'll yeah. call it a year long meditation i mean it was again if you saw it you would understand it but like i lived in a room that was a studio that had a bed in the kitchen and the bathroom was all the same room yeah. i didn't have a computer i didn't have tv i didn't have i didn't even have a phone what, you know what i mean was your why then the same as your why now uh yeah i mean again uh, so what know, is your why today what do you mean by my why? Like what is like what what drives you? Why do you do what you do today? Because I love what I do. Mm. I love it. I mean, it's I'm the luckiest guy in the world. Is the me. work you do today the same work you were doing then? Um, no. Now I'm doing it for other reasons. I'm doing it for, you know, uh, when I say my morning prayers every day, I I, I pray for the people that work at my restaurant because I know how much they all need Mm. the money to support their families. Mm. Like I'm now responsible for 400 people and their families. So so, so now what what, what I really want to focus on is the evolution from going from, I love doing the thing. I love the food. I love the the respect, the relationships, like the, the people behind everything we're doing, seeing people being present, these things that have come up in our conversation you go from working in restaurants to then owning your own restaurant. There's a shift that has to happen where you go from working in it to working on it and creating opportunity for other people. Right. So like when did, when did you, or how did you start living differently from this point on now that you know, this is what you want to do. How was life different? We're going to take our first break to thank our sponsors. When we come back, we'll unpackage that. This episode made possible by owner.com. Owner.com is the quickest and easiest way for your customers to order directly from you without the expensive 30% commission fees. Look, 
With Owner.com, you'll save thousands every month when customers order through your website and branded app instead of third-party delivery apps. And reward your customers with a built-in loyalty program that turns them into regulars who order again and again. Owner.com also helps you rank higher on Google with world-class search engine optimization built specifically for restaurants with an AI-powered website. We cannot forget lists. Build a huge list of people who live near your restaurant fast and market to that list on autopilot with text and emails sent at the perfect time to help you grow sales and stay top of mind. Owner.com gives you everything you need to grow and market your restaurant online with no contracts or hidden fees. Visit Owner.com slash unstoppable right now to book your free demo and see why thousands of restaurant owners trust owner.com to power their restaurants online. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Technologies, Inc. RTI's total oil management automates your entire cooking oil process. With total oil management, you get dependable fresh bulk cooking oil delivery, filtration plus oil usage monitoring and reporting, easy oil disposal, used cooking oil pickup and recycling, and say goodbye to those messy, dangerous restaurant rendering tanks. Yuck. RTI's end-to-end cooking oil system helps you manage your used cooking oil disposal, storage, collection, and recycling conveniently, safely, and cleanly with no upfront cost. RTI's services are not limited to oil. They also provide insurance premiums and automated hood cleaning solutions plus hood filtration systems, making your hood cleaning process easy, automatic, and worry-free. In addition to all this, Restaurant Technologies, Inc. can help you reduce your carbon footprint, which we all know is becoming increasingly more important to the consumer restaurant technologies inc is always on so you don't have to be to learn more head to rti-inc.com and let them know restaurant unstoppable podcast sent you their way we're back so in your story we left off you have this aha moment um you're, you're over in france for a year and a few months uh you had just worked at uh your uh, was a chef laurent you left. I'd opened BLT steak with Laurent. Yeah. And then you, when you came back, what happens? So I come back. Obviously, BLT steak has turned into like this, like beyond successful restaurant. Um, and Laurent tells me that they're going to open uh, another one called BLT Fish. Um, and it was like perfect timing because like BLT Fish was kind of Laurent going back to his french kind of roots and he had a restaurant called cello that was like arguably you know the the best seafood restaurant in the city when he had it so everybody's excited and again it's it's fine dining you know it's you know and um we we opened the restaurant and i'm on like the opening team helping uh chef matthew um palombino who's now also a successful restaurateur um and, you know, it, it was like, he basically said to me, like, help me open BLT Fish, and then I'll make you the chef of the next one. So I said, okay. You know, at, at this point, I, I'm still a sous chef yep. at the end of the day. I haven't been a chef at this point. Um, so we opened BLT Fish. You know, we get three stars from the New York Times. Um, you know, again, kind of just riding this wave of success with, with Laurent. Um, and then it comes time to um, open. And I don't know if everybody's kind of, paying attention here but at this point i think blt fish was the 
I don't know, maybe fourth restaurant that I've now opened. And at this time, I'm only 24 or 25 years old. That's huge. It's there. Like I, I can't like put into words for young cooks. And I know you can't choose it, but to try to find at least one or two openings in your career, if you want to open your own restaurant someday, because it's a much different animal to open something than it is to like just work somewhere that's been open. So, like, give me some examples of why you want, like, things that you because you have to set up the systems. You have to figure out where the dry storage is going to go. You have to figure out how the systems are going to work. You have to do everything from scratch. And whether you're making those decisions or not, you're watching the people that are making those decisions, and you figure out, you know, how important it is that you you pick out the right silverware or the right setting or the right chairs or the right music or the right, you know, it it's to, to be able to, to be a fly on the wall when all that is, is happening, you realize that it's not just about cooking. There's a thousand other things right. that, a, that an owner needs to be responsible right. for. And, and, like, and this is the stuff. This is, so this sounds like a huge, like, in, like a transformative time for you, right? Where you're like, you're going through, you're now opening these BLT, was it BLT steaks that you, that you were the executive chef of? No. So after BLT fish, he opens uh, BLT Prime. Got it. And that's the first one where I get the keys. Like, okay, you're going to be the, the chef de cuisine. So this is my first chef job. And, you know, I was, I, was, I was a young kid, man. I was 20, I don't even know, 6 maybe, 27 maybe, 26, 27. Actually, I don't even think I was that old. I think I was 25. Um, and, you know, I, you want to talk about sinking or swimming. I mean, I was in way over my head. Like I said, you don't realize how many things you're responsible for when you become the chef. And, you know, <clears throat> whether it's the ordering of the food, the, the linen, the, um, you know, payroll, like, you know, you don't realize like now you're not a, you're not on a pirate ship anymore. Like you're, you're actually in charge of making sure that the ship runs. Right. And I want to unpackage that, but I, I don't want to just skim over what you dropped us on us. This idea of going in to work for somebody where you're just opening, like going to open restaurants and opening restaurants for other people. Like, can you give me like some key lessons, some things that you know now that you learned during that time that you can pay for to our listeners like that you would have never gone if you didn't have that experience of opening restaurants for other people. Yeah. Listen, listen, I mean, it, it's kind of, it's everything, right? <laughs> like, I, I hear you. it's hard to think like somebody picked, like when you sit down at a restaurant, somebody picked out the material that is on that banquette that you're probably not even noticing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like somebody picked out the table base, somebody picked There's out the so table top, somebody picked out the yeah. napkin, somebody chose that that's how that napkin gets folded. Somebody chose that silverware and they chose that silverware for a reason. And the box that they bring the silverware to the table in was right. chosen by somebody. There's, there are a million things that right. go on from you just saying, I will take my steak, please. Right. And <laughs> so you go from from that being intentional with every detail versus walking into where everything's just set. It right. just is, right? So again, to see that, like I actually think doing those openings, and I did some with my with my old man too. The grill room was an opening. Above was an opening. Um it's like that to me is 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 more relevant to creating a chef than actually going to culinary school. Why? Because of everything I just said. Yeah. You can't like you can't teach that. Like, right. They don't teach you, you that. It. They you don't have, have restaurant opening class in culinary right. school. Like yeah. so I mean so if you're listening to this, try to find a restaurant group that's growing. 
that's opening restaurants and try to go work on those opening teams. Yeah, ask to be on that team. Yeah. You know, even if you have to take a, a demotion or, you know, a pay cut or whatever it is, like I would, you know, anything you can do. Like you hear about a chef opening a restaurant, knock on the door and say, hey, can I help? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I funnel people to this uh, series of episodes I did with Stephanie Robson. She was a faculty member for Cornell and she did a kitchen design and layout like step-by-step course. We did a three-part series with her. Uh, there's so much detail. If you want the detail, um, listen to that episode. It was episode, I think it starts at episode 855, and it's plus or minus three episodes from that episode number. So go check that out if you're looking for this detail, but there's nothing that beats getting into the restaurant and doing it because like, I think you just learn through osmosis. You yeah. just absorb it all. So when you now are the executive chef, right, and you're opening these restaurants, and now there's all these things that you were talking about like that, you're, that you were responsible for that you didn't have to worry about that before. What was your biggest challenge? You know, one thing that I think gets downplayed in being a chef is understanding that everybody in that kitchen looks to you for the leadership. And, you know, now you have, you know, you can't, you have to be like, you know, the first one in there. You know what I mean? You're, you're the last one out, you know, you, your station has to be the cleanest. Um, you know, when shit hits the fan, which it will, um, you know, you're the one that has to be the driving force to getting everybody out of the shit. You know, there's, it's, it's a, a ton of responsibility and it is never, ever turned off. It is from the moment you get there to the moment you leave every single day you're there. And you can't just be like, ah, you know what? I'm tired today or ah, I'm in a bad mood today or ah, you know what? I don't, I don't feel like being the leader today. Like it is every single day and it doesn't stop, you yeah. know, and especially when you're in a busy restaurant. Like it is, it it is nonstop, and like I said, you can't have an off day. Like you have an off day, you know, the, the it could be detrimental to the restaurant for forever. Yeah, you know what I mean, and and that's what I think. I don't think people, you know, again, we were talking about this before about where it seems very glamorous and like like it is like it's meant to look that is, way from the outside. It, looking yeah, <laughs> it is twenty four seven, man. Because yeah. when you're not there, you're thinking about what you need to do the next day. Like it it doesn't stop. Like, yeah. It keeps you, it keeps you young. That's, that's for sure. Was there a personal challenge for you going from that, going to that leadership role? Did you have a personal struggle? What was your struggle? It's not easy to do what I just said. Yeah. (laughs) And you don't, you don't realize like, you know, it's, you know, and again, I think, uh, you know, looking back, you know, the, the restaurant ended up being very successful and, you know, so, um, but you know, looking back, like, you know, I look at a 26 year old kid now and like, I can't believe that, you know, Laurent had the 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 confidence in a 26 year old kid to, to be the chef you know what i mean like you know i know times have changed i guess but um you know like i look at a 26 year old kid now and like it's a little baby yeah. I mean, it's a little kid right. and here i am in charge of a you know eight million dollar restaurant um and somehow some way i did it you know and, and you know i think i probably lost a couple of years off my life that year <laughs> but but i did it you know but what i mean living, and though, and you know? yeah. yeah and laurent was um you know uh impressed enough that he then asked me to be basically the like the corporate chef so what year was that he asked you to be the corporate chef ballpark again it's fuzzy yeah in the mid 2000s mid 2000s so like 2000 if i opened my rest my restaurant in 2008 so that was this was probably everything i'm talking about with blt was probably oh four ish to oh seven ish got it so so knowing what you know now the the leader you are today, the skills you've you've picked up along the way, reflecting back at that younger version of yourself, 
would, would there be any advice you would give yourself? Was there something that you were doing that knowing what you know now you would have done differently then? Uh, I probably would have saved, saved some more money. <laughs> That's a huge lesson. <laughs> I mean, especially if you want to open your own place, it takes yeah, cash flow. I mean, I was, uh, you know, I, I mentioned one of these other chefs, his name is Pino Maffeo. You know, there, you asked also to, you know, the aspects of being a chef, like uh, one of, one of the bigger things that I think Pino really kind of instilled in me, you know, again, it's a work hard, play hard, or at least it used to be work hard, play hard business, you know? Um, and you know, Pino was one of the ones that instilled in me, like, look, you make more money as a chef, you make more money than everybody else. So, you know, you're going to have to beat them up during service, but you take them out after you buy them all a beer. You know what I mean? But just make sure that you're the first one back in there the next day. Mm. Um, and the reason I'm bringing all this up is because, you know, if I could go back and do anything, I probably would have gone out a little less than, than I was because I was just spending all my money after at, at the bar buying rounds for the guys. But, you know, at the same time, like what goes around comes around. Yeah, no, it all worked out. So yeah. like maybe, you know, I'm not saying I have regrets about it, but you can't measure it. Um, all. You know, like, you know, the, this, this industry is an industry of the details of the numbers of measuring things of tracking the KPIs. But at the end of the day, when you give, you have to have faith that that generosity you can't track it yeah I've, listen i was probably the way i was raised i've, I've always been generous um i still am sometimes sometimes too generous but you know i i i do it because i know how hard they all work right. and how hard it is and um you know like i said i was there man i was i was, I was broke on a couch you know yeah. what i mean like i was like for for a while you know so um but anyway so laurent decides to ask me to be the corporate chef so i get to do like I don't know, maybe three or four more openings. So again, man, here I am now. You know, you fast forward. I opened something in Puerto Rico. I opened something in Dallas. I opened something in you know New York in the Ritz Carlton. And um, I think it was when we opened the the one in the Ritz Carlton was called BLT Market. And this one was like ingredient driven. You got to remember the other ones were kind of steakhouses. Fish was obviously not, but you know, steak and prime. And then when I went to Puerto Rico and Dallas and these were steakhouses. And when we opened BLT market, this was back to like almost like full circle. It was like going back to an American place where it was, the menu was printed daily based on the ingredients that were in peak season, not just in season, but like week to week. Yeah. And I think it was there that all of a sudden, like now I'm like plating and creating dishes again, you know, and not just like, you know, kind of steak and, you know, side dishes. And, um, and that was where I started to like, you know, almost like get this bug. Like, you know, I missed this food. I missed this style of cooking. It was at an extremely high level. Um, and then there was a moment where I started, and this is when I knew it was time to leave. I started to not, give all my ideas to BLT market mm. because I was keeping them now in my book yeah. for my own restaurant. And now all of a sudden I'm saying that in my head for my own restaurant. Well, I'm going to keep this for my own restaurant. And I'm yeah. like, Whoa. So I, um, it's kind of funny. Laurent and I get into a huge fight over fucking breakfast sausage, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, you know, we, we ended up making up, but it was like a fuck you, fuck you. Like, I think I had... I mean, shirt. I think these happen in all Yeah, kitchens. I mean, I think, I, like, <laughs> yeah. he happened to come in, like, while I was changing. So, like, I had no shirt on. I'm, like, screaming, and he's screaming at me. And 
and then whatever we we end up meeting up a couple of days later and it was terrible because he's like my, my mentor. Yeah. You know? I think it's also, there's something to be said about like creating a space where like you can't have it all out. And then like a day later you're hugging. You yeah. Know? Like having that, creating that culture where, you know. Like, yeah. I mean, listen, he was very intense and like yeah. he pushed you and pushed and pushed. And it's also, I, I mean that as a compliment, like, you know, he, without Laurent Torndell, there's no way I'm opening my, my first restaurant. But um, anyway, we make up, but when we make up, that's when I let him know, like, look, I think it's time for me to, to move on. Like, you know, I want to do my own, my own restaurant. Yeah. Um, and you know, he was like, okay, I get it. You said something that's never been said before on the show is that when you started withholding ideas that you knew was the trigger that you're, you're ready to go do your own thing. Why is that? Well, cause I felt guilty. Mm. I wasn't giving BLT everything that I needed to give it. And that's not fair. Mm. You know what I mean? And I, I didn't want to do that. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So that's when I knew it was, it was just time to go. Not in a bad way. It was just time to go. Yeah. Like, How do you have that conversation? When when I had it with Laurent? Well, yeah. Like, no. Well, I told you the fight kind of <laughs> ignited it. it. <laughs> and then we're, we were, we met for a drink somewhere, Rue 57, I think it was. And, um, you know, sorry, sorry. I shouldn't have done that. You know, I, I don't right. know. Like, whatever. We get through that whole part of it. And then... It was just like I said. It was. It made it almost easier to then say, and you know, I you know, I think it's time for me to move on. I right. want to do my own spot, and I think we were opening one other thing. And he's like, "Can you please just finish this thing through?" And I did, and I honored it, and left in a great way. Right. Um, I always love telling this story that the 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 owner of BLT, his name is Jimmy Haber. Um. He he asked me to meet for a drink like on my last night, which was weird. Like he was like, you know, the wizard. Like you don't like you know, he wasn't the behind the curtains. Yeah, like <laughs> you know, what I mean, like his office was on like the 80th yeah. floor of a the high rise. You know, what yeah. I mean, like he was just like. Anyway, so he asked just me and him to have a drink, which I thought was so weird. But I go and it's a very fancy place, and like I don't belong in there. Um, and we're having a drink. And he says, you know, I, I want to wish you all the luck, you know, but you're, uh, you're probably going to be back in about a year. And I was like, and the going into this meeting, I thought he was actually going to like give me some money, you know, to open my own right. restaurant. You know what Investment I mean? Or something. And, uh, I feel like that sentence was like one of the most motivating things that anyone ever said to me. And he didn't mean it to be, that wasn't the intent. No. <laughs> And, but it like, I swear to you, I think that's probably why I hung on so hard in those first couple of years. Cause like there was no way I was letting that. I mean, he goes a double edged sword, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like it can kill you, but it can also like that having that pride can be what you need yeah. to get through it. Like I, and, but again, my whole life, like you tell me I can't, like I will, you know what I mean? And yeah. like, it was just coming from him. It was just like, it like. It enraged me. Like yeah. I mean, you could still say it, like I'm. It's still like enrages me. <laughs> you, you did say that you left right. I don't know the yeah. right words. You the exact you left words the right you, way. Yeah, you left the right yeah. way. What is the right way? As much time as your boss, you know, kind of needs you for. Yeah. You know, especially somebody that was as good to me as they were. Right. You know, I've absolutely picked up on a, a pattern that the most successful people in this industry are the ones that almost intentionally push their people out. And this, and it's not in like a like they push them out like 
in a negative way, but like they recognize that there's life beyond my restaurant mm -hmm. and my job is to help you get to where you want to go. What your, what are your goals and how can I be a stepping stone to that? And some, and when you take that approach of like, how can I help you achieve what you're looking for in life? Eventually you get the people that are just like, oh, this is what I want to do. Like mm -hmm. I'm an employee and that's, that's, and there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it. And there's people that are dreamers. Not everybody dreamers. can have their own place. Exactly. You know, and, and you go further together. Some people belong in a lane and they, they like their lane yeah. and they want to be able to shut off. They want to be able to go home yeah. and not think about the yes. business. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, not at all. Um, so like, I guess what I'm trying to get at is like, how do, like, what advice do you have to, 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 to end it right? Is it just about communication? Is it yeah. about being upfront? You know, again, if it's somebody that's been good to you, you know, ask them what they, you know, is it okay? Like, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of going like, um, you know, like tell me what you want. You want two weeks, you want three weeks, you want a month. Yeah. Like, what do you need? Like, talk right. to me. You know As what I mean? As the owner, open the door. Yeah. Let them, let them know that you're receptive to whatever it is that you desire. But tell me so I can I mean, do it the right way. Plan. Yeah. Right. So we can communicate. Listen, so one I of my chefs just gave notice. You know what I mean? He yeah. gave me, gave me two months. So you said you would have never been able to do it without Chef Laurent. What was it exactly? that he did that helped you be able to do it? Was it just the experience of practicing under his? Everything. Like I said, it was like, it was like going to restaurant opening college. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like I said, I just, you know, when we were doing those like out of state ones, like I was going down by myself a month before anybody got there to hire the team, to set up the purveyors to, you know, and that, it, and, you know, when I say purveyors, I mean everything from, where you get the milk to where you get the fryer oil to where yeah. you get the uniforms. Like it was everything. Yeah. Everything. So writing training manuals, like, you know, the being in front of staff, like it's, what about when you go to open your own place? I mean, now I'm assuming that you, a, a couple of people that you, that you worked with under chef Laurent probably came with you. Is that safe to say? Or did you go from other? No, restaurants? cause you know, I wouldn't take anybody. Well, that's yeah, from him. like, what are the, what, how do we navigate those? So, lines? I mean, it's crazy. I mean, we're like an hour in, and didn't even open my restaurant yet. I know we can get into. It. I, I'm, I'm, I'm like chomping at the bit. There's just these little nuggets. We're gonna get into it. So, um, <clears throat> you know, again, so I, I give notice, and now it's you know, okay, time to like put my money where my mouth is. Um, I start looking at spaces, and um, I get a call from somebody who was actually used to be a a server at my dad's restaurant. Name's Greg Dodge. Uh, <clears throat> I haven't seen it in a long time. Um, but anyway, he's like, I heard you looking for a space. I got a cool thing in Tribeca. I swear to you, I think I even said like, well, where's Tribeca? <laughs> um, so I get on the subway, I get out of the train. And like, you know, there's no numbers on the streets down there. And, you know, I'm, I'm literally like, I this is before you have a map on your phone and thing. like I'm asking people like, where's Reed street? Like I can't even find it. And you know, I, I see, I, I get onto Reed street. I come walking up the block. I see him standing on a porch and I'm like, God damn it. That's beautiful. Like I hope, I hope this is the space. And like, I walked up the steps and it's, I don't know if you've never been, but like it has these beautiful doors that open like when they're open, the whole front of the restaurant's open, you know, <clears throat> and it was not my style of decor, but like I saw the bones in this place and like it hit me like the second I walked up the two steps, like I was just like, Whoa. yeah, like this is my restaurant, like, whoa. And, um, 
you know, we have a couple meetings. Um, at this point, sorry, I kind of glazed over something. I've now engaged a kid that I went to college with. His name is Chris Blumlow. And he's going to handle the business side of it. Um, and we sit down with this guy. We haven't raised any money yet. <laughs> How old are you at this point? Still 26, 27? Mid-20s at this yeah. point, yeah. Um, and we sit down with this guy and the guy's like, all right, you know, like and maybe the third meeting now. And, you know, he tells us what he wants and whatever it was, I think it was $350,000 for key money. Um, key money for anybody that's listening that doesn't know it, it's what you pay for what is in the restaurant. It could be equipment, chairs, Turkey. tables, yeah, it's whatever. The right. assets inside the four right. walls. So we, we shake hands and he says, uh, you know, 350K and, you know, I need 50% of that by the end of the month. And we say, no problem. <laughs> I'm not making this up. We have zero dollars. We don't even think we have a bank account yet. But that is the right mindset to have, though. Because yeah, we'll get it. Yeah, exactly. So the next six months, uh, we spend raising money. And, I'm, you know, again, try to wrap your head around this. But, like, we would go... To people's, you know, like, you know, whatever. We got money from friends and family as much as we could. You know, we were selling $20,000 points and some people buy one, some people buy two, you know, slowly chipping away. And then I met this one guy uh, who had like Wall Street friends. And the next thing you know, I am basically going to people's apartments and, you know, could be anywhere from five to 10 people. And we would ask them, <laughs> I'm not making this up. I love it though. Bring your checkbook to the dinner. And we would cook dinner for these people in their houses. You know, Chris would be pouring the wine and then the thing. I'd do like a four course dinner. And then people would write a check if they wanted to be in or not. And we ended up raising um, somewhere around a million bucks. And we had enough money to How open. How much time? months that's awesome though and i'm not joking man i don't nobody bought more than two points well you're actually reminding me of this company that's a new company it's called Mainvest, and what they do is exactly that but what you did is you went to your community and there's not framing a tangible framing out there resources pathways to get local money to invest in local business yeah listen it wasn't the plan but like, it's we, such a great we thought thing. we we're gonna meet somebody that believed in us and they would buy the restaurant yeah but, but what happens didn't. when you have people it, that are in that community where the restaurant's located they're gonna now they're invested sure yeah, and they yeah. know the community they know everybody they're gonna be hey go you, you you're buying promoters yeah you but know? but it was hard because oh, I bet. as the money as the money was coming in it was just going out so like shit we need thirty thousand dollars to do the whatever it was hvac like well how much do we have in the bank well we got forty three thousand dollars all right looks like we gotta go do another dinner and like it was like it was like that. So you want to yeah. talk about stress? I mean, it was like... I'm going to promote another know. Stephanie Robson episode I did there. She talking about the importance of having a pro forma and literally like, like what are we going to need and then add 50% onto that because there's going to be something yes. you don't... No, listen, we raised a million. Yeah. We should have raised probably 1.5. Yeah. It's like a magic number um, times 50%. But anyway, you know, all these trials and tribulations, we, we, we somehow, some way get this thing... You know, and this is just a funny sidebar conversation. The the opening night, opening day, um, <clears throat> I go to get 
a glass of water out of my fridge and it feels like somebody stabs me in the stomach. I hit the ground and um, I lived at the time on 14th Street. So there was a hospital. It's not there anymore. It's called St. Vincent's. So I was like four blocks away. I literally take 10 steps, go back down to my knees, start cr- I'm crawling at this point on the sidewalk to get to the hospital. I get to the hospital. I'm like, I don't know what's happening to me. Like, I can't. Like, I'm, I'm dying. Like, they put me in a bed, you know, whatever. They start, like, giving me, I think, pain meds, whatever. And, like, I just, I grab the nurse and I'm like, look, you know, I don't know how long this is going to take, but, like, I, I, I need to be at work in a couple hours. Like, I'm opening a restaurant today. And she's, like, laughed at me. She's like, you're not going anywhere, <laughs> Like, um, and I was in the hospital for the first uh, five days what of, was it is it a personal of question no it was where my large intestine and small intestine meet there was some type of inflammation oh, is it stress induced yeah stress like whatever um, who knows you know just it's bad luck we'll just yeah. call it whatever and anyway I spent the first four days we couldn't not open because we had had we had like 100 reservations every night right like, we needed the money right like, <laughs> um, so anyway I missed the opening um but we open and um, it's not like a slam dunk because, you know, like, you know, going back to my dad, like, you know, I think some people, you know, maybe had this anticipation of like I was trying to do an American place. American place was fine dining. You wore a tie, tablecloths, you know what I mean? Um, and this is 2008 you're opening this restaurant. It's a little Yeah. So there's like a... Keep going. But well, Forge wasn't that. It, right. Well, it just I didn't want it to be that. I wasn't trying to open an American place. I wasn't. I wasn't trying to to do all that. You know, I wanted to do. You know, our our, our like motto was fine dining without the bullshit. Um, so we opened, but again, it's like it's like like I said, mixed feelings. You know what I mean? Like, who is this kid? Like, what is he trying to do? Um, you know, we got some good reviews. We got some okay reviews. Nothing really bad. You know. Um, and the restaurant's doing well. Like we have a we have a good summer. We opened in June. We had a good fall. You know, like everything is starting to like kind of hum. We're like you know getting our footing, and then November, um, the financial crisis. Right. Again, I don't know where you were, or how old you were, or what you were doing, but I was a freshman. No, I just had just graduated college. Um, yeah. So it. When I tell you, you know, whatever they call that day, you know, Black Monday or whatever the hell it was, like the restaurant went from like a hundred reservations, like let's say that Friday to like 20 and so on and so forth. I mean, it went from, you know, if you want to put it into like a weekly thing, like, you know, we went from doing, um, I think we're doing like 70,000 a week at that point to all of a sudden doing 25. A week. Wow. <laughs> like we do 25 in a night now. Like yeah. I mean, you've heard the phone ring. Week. <laughs> I mean, it was like, but it was like that. Yeah. I mean, poof. and it didn't matter who you were, how good you were, what your yeah, name was. I got scared. I think the media does that sometimes. I mean, like, is th- this- they were going on, ca- on TV and saying, literally, do not spend your money. I feel like whatever happened to the recession that was supposed to happen by now, like, I don't want to jinx it, but like I don't know, we're fine. Just, <laughs> yeah, like keep knocking on that but, wood. But it was for anybody that was old enough to remember it, or who was a business owner at that time. It was, 
it was insanity. So we went from, we had no choice. We went from, let's just say it was 30 employees to 10. You know, I'm, you know, chef, cook, dishwasher, waiter. I mean, like, I mean, you want to talk about like, how the hell did we end up here, man? I mean, it was like, it was as bad as anything will ever be in this industry as the owner. But, and this is where, and this is a very important part of the story. I invest, the money that I got to open that restaurant was like a lot of personal people. It wasn't just some rich guy from Wall Street that wanted to have a restaurant. Like this was like, I took money from my grandma, like, you know, my college roommates, you know, their parents, like, you know, friends, high school, friends. I mean, it was as friends and family as you could possibly get that invested in this restaurant. And they didn't give me money that would kill them. Mm -hmm. But I looked at all of them in the eye and I said, I swear to you, I'm going to make this work. When I got the money, not during the recession. You know, I think they all would have been fine if we closed. You know what I mean? They would have understood and none of them would have got hurt. Like it would have been fine, but I couldn't do it. Like I, you know what I mean? And I just, I couldn't do it. I looked them all in the eye. So like we did everything we could possibly do to to keep that thing going. And what that meant was, like I just said, like, you know, the, we, we couldn't afford to, to have staff. So I had, to, we had to do everything ourselves and it was, it was nuts. Yeah. I mean, nuts. How long did that go on? Uh, I mean, I'm like trying, it's, it's crazy. It's almost like PTSD. Like you can't even remember it. But, um, I mean, I would say it was almost Very a year. Good. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably but, a year. I mean, what's going through my mind is this like one, like owning a restaurant is, yeah, it's systems. Yeah. It's culture. Yeah. It's, it's, um, marketing. Yeah. It's, it's all these things, but I think we underplay how much of it is mindset and how much of it is just saying like, I'll figure it out. And thinking like it's and believing full heartedly that it's possible because as soon as you think it, that it's hopeless, as soon as you think that there is no way, you're right. Your yeah. mind shuts off. You give up. Yeah, you throw in the towel. I mean, listen, if there was ever a moment where I didn't think it was going to work, it was then. That's, right. that's for sure. But you said you said to your friends, you said to your family, you said to all these people that were that were putting themselves out for you. Yeah, I'm going to make I it work. F- I'll make it work. Yep. What happens is your mind literally the hype that your frontal lobe is that problem solver, and like it literally starts to manifest possibilities of things you can do. Just like when you were trying to get the money. Yeah. How do we get this? We can't get this money in this amount of time. Yes, we can. Let's start knocking on doors. Yeah. And you just start figuring it out. You start making yeah, a smaller one, menu. One problem at a time. Yeah, and like, and you will get through it. And I think that's why it's so important to figure out how this thing between your ears works. Yeah. Mindset and understanding that you can control your mind if you have if you if you don't succumb to the emotions. If you override these these feelings, these things inside your head that are telling you you can't do it. Put that shit to sleep. Yeah. Listen, my grandma, I, I say it to my son now, my grandma, um, like one of her real uh, serious lessons that I take with me and I try to tell anybody that'll listen, if you take the word can't out of your vocabulary, there is never a moment in your life where you should ever say that word, mm. ever. And if you live your life without saying can't, you'll accomplish a lot more. Mm. I love that. And man. try it. Like yeah. everybody out there, try it. Right. It's so it's so <laughs> true. And like your mind is so powerful. It will literally invent ways to get you to, to figure it out. Yeah. And and so I'm, I am curious. Um, how many restaurants do you own today? Uh, 
three and a partner in one. How many have you owned over time? Oof, that's a loaded question. <laughs> I don't know. We'll call it a dozen. A dozen. Somewhere around there. Okay. So you opened your first restaurant in 2008. Yeah. Um, that wasn't a restaurant, Mark Forge. Yeah, that was Forge. Okay. Yeah. You said Forge and it kind of threw me. Sorry. I was like, Forge, Forge is my nickname. So like, oh, okay. the name was origi- it was originally called Forge and I, part of this, while the uh, recession was happening, we also got threatened to be sued by oh. a restaurant in Miami called The Forge. And got it. Da, 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 da. We changed it to Mark Forge, but we still call it Forge. Got it, got it. Um, so as a restaurant tours, like as their restaurants grow, their role tends to grow. Like you said, like that first couple, that first year, like because of the economy and everything, you were the restaurant. It was the, the, the definition of a person-dependent operation. If yeah. you didn't show up, it didn't open, right? No, and it was, but it was like that for the next couple of years because – um, you know, I had become so like ingrained in it that like, you know, uh, there wasn't any other way to do it. Like I had to be the chef and be there all the time. And, um, because if, if, if not like because of the recession and I took on so much responsibility, it took years to then relinquish that those responsibilities. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I did everything for a couple of years. Well, I think most restaurant owners can relate to that. It starts off sure. with them and their vision and they, they will it into existence. Right. But over time, eventually you have to, yeah, it's actually off- better again, anybody listening, it's better to delegate as much as you can yeah. because it gives you a, a different view. Like when you're in it, excuse me, when you're in it, sometimes you don't see the whole thing and it, it and as hard as it is. And it, it was for me to, to kind of open the hands a little bit and you know you know maybe it is okay if i don't expedite on you know friday night like they can do it like mm-hmm. wow they're gonna but um but the just to go back to the recession because it leads to like kind of everything <laughs> is everybody was telling me to switch to like hamburgers and you know steak frites and which i love I, I love cheeseburgers and steak for you. Who doesn't? Like <laughs> but I had worked my ass off up until this point in my life. And like the last thing I wanted to do was like just start serving like basic food just because that's what people were telling me would get me through the recession. I was like, you know, I'd, honestly, I'd rather I'd rather close than serve some stuff that I'm I'm not, you know, into. And. Um, because of that, it, you know, when the, when the Michelin guide came out that year, I mean, it was such a shock, a pleasant shock. It's actually kind of a funny story just to give you guys a visual. Like I, 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 I get a, a call on my, it's on my voicemail. I wake up. Sorry. I'm, I'm glazing over something. No, you're fine. At a certain point we couldn't do it anymore. Like it was, it was done. And I get approached by uh, Danny Abrams, guy who has the Mermaid in, and he wants to buy the restaurant. And this was like the best way that I could see getting money back to my friends and family was it wasn't going to be all of it, but it was going to be some of it. Like yeah. there was just nothing we could do anymore. Like it was just dead. And um, I think we even had the contract written up, and it was like on a Friday or you know end of the week. I wake up that Monday morning. And that was 2000, it had to be nine. 
and there's a voicemail on my phone from the Michelin Guide <laughs> welcoming me to the Michelin Guide wow. on my fucking voicemail. <laughs> and I'm like, this is, a jo- like, this is a joke. So this isn't a star. Is it like the... No, like, this is a star. This was the star. Okay. But I'm like, there's no way that they tell you that you have a Michelin star on your voicemail. Like, this is impossible. I thought it was Laurent. I call Laurent. I'm like, you, you, you fucking around. You mess with me? And um, so I find out we have the Michelin star. So I called Danny. I'm like, look, Danny. I'm like, I can't sell my restaurant the day that I find out we get a Michelin star. And the reason I was bringing up the burger and the steak frites thing is like. Imagine if you did sign the papers. That Well, never mind sign the papers. Imagine if I had switched it to burgers and oh, right. steak frites. Right. It never, none of that would have happened. It was just something in my gut was telling me, like, this is, you're not supposed to do fried chicken and It wasn't inflammation, was it? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it was, and I tell this to people all the time, like, you know, your best friend is, is your gut. Like, follow your gut. You it's know true. What I mean? Like, only you have your gut. Yeah. You know, I mean? you know, there's some science that's starting to support this now. It's really interesting. There's bundles of nerves. They, like the, they say your heart speaks to you, right? And, like, they're starting to realize that there's bundles of nerves in your heart that, and in your gut where your your gut and your heart literally talk to your brain. Yeah. And when we start, when we form in the womb, like it starts there and there's, there's a lot of science that's like, there's a two way street going on. Yeah. Like trust your gut. Cause it's, it's the, it's communicating to the, the low road of your consciousness. You might know about this with the psychology and yeah. all this, like there's stuff that's going on inside of our brains that we're not even aware of. It's, a, it's, it's a, operating at hyper speed, yep. super ultra aware of things that we're like consciously not even aware of are happening below the surface. And that gut feeling you're getting is that data that we're picking up constantly saying, stay true to your course. Like, like you can't ignore it. Yeah. And you shouldn't. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm not going to say it's going to work out hundred percent of the time, but I, I, I think most of the time you feel okay with something not working out as long as you, you followed your, your gut, gut. You no know regrets. I mean? Um, so we get to star, um, and it's not like that, like solved everything, but you know, the world started to come back a little bit, you know, because we had the star, like we're doing an extra 10, 15 covers a night and, you know, starts to roll and everything starts to kind of, uh, kind of take off a little bit. Like, you know, we're still losing money, but we're losing less money, you know? Um, and then that's when I get the call from, uh, the food network. So, up until this point, I'd been asked to go on, you know, whatever, Top Chef, and I always said no to, to those types of things. They, they never, like, got Appeal me going. Me. Yeah. But I love and loved Iron Chef. Why? There was something very pure about it. Like, it wasn't like, you know, there the, the wasn't cameras following people around in the house and, like, causing drama. And, like, like it was just Cook. two great yeah. chefs with a great ingredient, make five dishes. Yeah. Like, in but an hour. Like, what you were doing boom. for your friends and yeah. going back. Like what I do, yeah. you know, every, like what all chefs do. Yeah. Um, and the year before, they had just come out with this new show called The Next Iron Chef, which I watched and I loved it. I loved it. Mm-hmm. It was the one that Michael Simon won. And um, anyway, so I get a call from the Food Network and they're like, look, we just had the somebody back off of the show we have one spot left i end up talking to this person it's like an interview basically yeah. you know we talk for like an hour on the phone and uh, they call me back the next day they're like okay if you if you want to do it like you can come 
Um, oh shit! Sorry, I glazed over a very serious part <laughs> of this. You're good. You're good. That summer, we now have the Michelin star. The restaurant's like doing better. I am screaming at somebody. I probably shouldn't have been, but I'm screaming at somebody. Somebody comes into the kitchen and tells me to be quiet. A guest comes into the kitchen and tells me to be quiet. I'm like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> and the whole kitchen is like, what the hell was that? Like, who's this guy? <laughs> so I go out to the dining room and I'm like, look, man, just so you know, like the only reason I was, you know, yelling again, follow your gut. I didn't have to go to that table, but I like took like a moment. I was like, no, no, no. You have to go out to that table. Like, yeah. Like the only reason I was yelling was because I'm trying to make sure the food comes to the table. And he like waves his hand in my face. He's like, I'm not interested in what you have to say. So at that point, and this is a very important part of the story. That's why I kicked him out. I didn't kick him out because he came into the kitchen. I kicked him out because of the disrespect that he gave me at the table. Back to that word. So, So this happens. This guy gets kicked out. I get a call the next day. Or sorry, my my office manager comes into the kitchen the next day. And she's like, the New York Times is on the phone. Oh, man. At this point, we had not gotten a New York Times review yet. And when the New York Times does a review, they call it a fact check. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, the Times came in. Like, you know, we missed them. You know? You kicked them out. <laughs> so, so I'm like, all right. So I pick up the phone. I'm like, hey, you know. And he's like, is this Mark Fujon? I'm like, yeah, this is Mark Fujon. He's like, well, my name's Ron Lieber. I'm like, you know, I'm like, how's it going? I don't know. I didn't know the name. He's like, uh, I'm, a, I'm a writer for the, for the New York Times, and uh, I'm, I'm the guy you kicked out last night. <laughs> and I think he almost called to like see if I was going to apologize in a, in a weird way, and I didn't because I, I was like, look, yeah. man, I, and I explained to him, I didn't kick you out for coming in the restaurant, in the kitchen. I kicked you out for the way you treated me when I came to the table, da 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 And he's like, well, do you mind if I read an article about it? And I was like, I'm, you know, I'm sure you're going to write the article however you want. <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, whatever, like you don't need my blessing. Like, you know, and anyway, he writes this article. It's kind of funny. I don't know if it's still online, but he writes this article and it fucking goes like whatever viral was back then. New circuit. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like it just thousands of, of hits. Right. And I think that the, te- the title was like, you know, um, you know, I don't know, man, like our chefs really it was just like I think Eater put it up and it said who was a bigger asshole in this situation or something like that like yeah. it just like turned into like a thing but you know any pre- every time they talked about it in these articles that were getting like sent to different outlets it was Michelin star chef Mark Forgione down in Tribeca Michelin star chef Mark Forgione down in Tribeca Michelin press. star chef Mark yeah. Forgione down in Tribeca and I'm telling you, we had people call the restaurant like, we didn't even know you guys were there. Are you Larry's son? Like, it was like, you know, like all of a sudden, like this, this like thing started to yeah. happen because I kicked this guy out. And, you know, we, we actually had some people come in like asking if I would yell at them. Like it got, <laughs> it got like, a little weird. Um, but, but I think people kind of thought I was crazy. Yeah. You know, this was also when Gordon Ramsay was like right. in his, you know, thing and, you know. Putting that show on. Yeah. yeah. So, um, the Food Network calls kind of because of that, right? They needed somebody. They saw, whatever, I have a mohawk, I'm young, I'm apparently crazy, like this be, Good for you know, he's got a Michelin star, like yeah. this is great, yeah. like we'll, we'll take him, you know yeah. what I mean? So I get on the show and, um, you know, when we're doing like the first photo shoot thing, like the guy's like, he's like, give me fucking angry, like come on, give me, and, and I'm like, 
I'm like, no, no, I don't do that, bro. Like, that's not, that's not what I do. Like, you know, if, if you're disrespectful to me, like, I'll, you know, I'll kick your ass. But like, I'm not, yeah. you know, I don't just yell. You know? It's not for show. Like, right. Yeah. So anyway, I end up, and I don't, I don't, I did not go on that show to win. And I know it might sound weird. Like, I just, I didn't think I was going to win. Like, yeah, just, what do I have to It would lose? be like a kid that plays baseball, like thinking they're going to play in the Yankees. Like, I was like, I'll go. I'll try to get more butts in seats. Yeah. If I can... Not go home first, I, you know, like, awesome. you know, yeah. Um, and I end up winning the show and there's a lot of it. And, you know, we could do a whole podcast on that two months of filming that show. But it came down to the end again, you know, talk about following your gut. And it was, it was battle Thanksgiving. And um, I kind of grew up, my parents would take us to like, Native American powwows and, you know, I've done vision quests and, you know, my teacher's name is Little Hawk and, you know, so I have like this kind of history. And as soon as they told me it was going to be Battle Thanksgiving, like I knew I wanted to honor the Native American side of Thanksgiving, not necessarily just yeah. turkey and cranberry sauce. So I just did a little research and... You know, I got some info on the first Thanksgiving. It was in 1621. It was called the Harvest Festival. And, um, you know, they didn't eat turkey. And I do this dinner, and it's like in honor of the Harvest Festival. You know, da 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 I don't cook turkey, even though some advice I got from some other people was like, you have to cook turkey. It's Thanksgiving. Like, they're going to, like, you're, you're going to lose, bro. And I'm like, I... I'm telling you, my gut's telling me I don't need yeah. to cook turkey. And I get up, I get up, and I, I finish my presentation. I do my last dish, and you know the dude, the judges are Bobby Flay, Michael Simon, uh, Morimoto, um, you know Alton Brown. Like, like it's like, you know, the yeah, creme de la creme of Iron Chef. And um, Bobby Flay is like, uh, he starts talking to me. He's like, listen, man. He's like. I got to tell you, like, if I'm however old I was, if I'm 29 years old and, you know, I know that I have five dishes to represent Thanksgiving and this is going to change my life and I see a turkey up on that altar, like, I got to tell you, bro, I'm cooking that turkey and I was like, oh, shit, like, I I fucked it up. Like, ah. Well, this was fun. (laughs) (laughs) But then he goes and then he he gives me a, a butt. He's like, butt? Like, you pulled it off, man. Like, I got to tell you, like, you know, the the story is great. That, whatever. He was impressed. Was there a protein? Yeah. So, I mean, the original, the original, so the original Thanksgiving, like just, I mean, Thanksgiving's coming up, right? The original Thanksgiving was in 1621. It's called the Harvest Festival. Um, but there was a, a, an Englishman named Edward Winslow who wrote a letter back uh, to England describing the first Thanksgiving. So it's very well documented. And there was amazing ingredients that they ate. I mean, it was like cod. I mean, everything that is from the Northeast. I mean, it was cod, lobster, squash, corn, um, venison. Um, There was fowl. So like, you know, duck and, you know, again, all these things. But turkey just wasn't there, you know, at at that particular dinner. Um, So anyway, I win that. And... You know, I come back, but we couldn't tell anybody I won because we filmed it in the summer and then it didn't air until October. Just in time for Thanksgiving. 
And then... Were there any specials being written in, in the same time, unbeknownst to us, the New York Times was coming in to eat to give us a review. But we didn't catch him. We caught him once. His name is Sam Sifton, was the, was the critic at the time. Came in five times. We only caught him once. And he... You know, it, this is the week that changed my life. So it was October 2010. So that Monday, we found out that we retained the Michelin star. That Wednesday, the New York Times comes out and it's like one of the best reviews you could ever get. That Thursday, I get Rising Star Chef from Star Chefs. And that Sunday... The next Iron Chef premieres. Wow. So when it rains, it pours, man. Five, dude, <laughs> six days of like, tsunami. my God. And the restaurant has never been slow. This episode is brought week. to you by Margin That's Edge. Since that Margin week. Edge That's is crazy, a restaurant dude. management um, software that helps you see your food and labor cost in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. Just snap a picture of your invoice and Margin Edge will process them within 24 to 48 hours with line item detail, including handwritten adjustments. This allows you to save hours on paperwork so you can spend more time on creating great guest experiences. Margin Edge combines purchases from your invoices and sales data from your POS, which allows you to get real-time costing, get a daily controllable P&L, and send information directly into your accounting system. Margin Edge integrates with 60-plus POS systems and dozens of accounting systems. Manage everything from one central location, inventory, recipes, plate costs, ordering, and bill pay. Margin Edge was created by restaurant people for restaurant people. And as a matter of fact, Margin Edge founders continue to operate restaurants to this day. Head to MarginEdge.com slash unstoppable to sign up for a free demo today. That's MarginEdge.com slash unstoppable. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, 
There is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. Restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. We're back. So you just told an amazing story, man, with tons of detail. And But this... All of a sudden, you get all this this press. You, like you said, the Star Chef, the the Iron Chef, the New York Times. Uh, you you retain your 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 Michelin star, like in busy sense. And operating in the in the black was, which was probably the best award. You, <laughs> what was that like? To you? Tell, I swear to you, I remember the first week we did. I mean, it was just like, wait a minute, we didn't lose money this week. <laughs> yeah, man. Are you kidding me? Like, 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 like drinks to- are on the house. <laughs> yeah, time to start giving it away again. <laughs> but like, they get into it. Man. It was like I said, man. Unless you lived it that that year, it yeah, man, it was like being in jail. You know what I mean? And like, it it, it was like to get out. It was like you're, I'm free. Like it was like that. That year was so un. Like it's unbelievable to try to put it into words how hard it was. Right. So to now get this and to 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 have it and for people to you know uh, start saying the things that I think everybody like that was close to us knew now all of a sudden people are like oh wow this this is a good restaurant wow oh, this, wow this this guy can cook like oh that like you know what I mean like it felt so good to like I don't right. know kind of just get get what we. Not I, we deserved as a restaurant. And now it was time to, you know, uh, okay, well, now how do we do this? You know what I mean? Right. So, I mean, I think this reinforces some of the biggest lessons on the show. The biggest reason why restaurants fail is because they're undercapitalized. Like, you won all these awards like nobody's questioning your ability to cook yeah. you you were so close to failure and it was when you were about to get a michelin star you were so close to failure and you go and you 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 win the praise of all these amazing iron chefs like you need a runway you need operating capital so whatever you think it's going to cost you to open your restaurant time you know times 50 percent, and then find out what your operational expenses are going to be for a year after yeah I, I was gonna. Say, I was gonna say I would have a year of capital it takes in the time. bank. I would you're, have a year. You're living proof that even even with if, even if you have ten thousand hours and you grew up under the roof of an amazing restaurateur yeah. and you travel the country and you work with these amazing chefs and you can cook the fucking pants off anybody. Part of my language. Yep. You still need time yep. to get the word 100%. out. And again, everything you just said, it's like fifty percent of it. Right. There's another fifty percent that has nothing to do with how talented or driven or like you know it's 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 tough man you get one shot you know and um if you go out and you you think it's hard to ask for money to open a restaurant once try to do it twice yeah all right 100 (laughs) and that's why too listen they don't do it unless you're you're ready to do it you know what i mean like make sure you're ready right so these are there are huge underlying lessons there so now you have cash flow now the hard part's done right you have cash coming in now you gotta figure out how to do it all what were your biggest challenges like I'm sure all of your problems didn't go away once there was money. No, I mean, you know, listen, now it's just new challenges. Okay, well, well, now we have people coming in the door. Okay, well, now we have to figure out how to keep payroll under, you know what I mean, 30% or we got to keep food cost under, you know, yeah. 25%. Like, you know, like now it's like we went from surviving to now operating. Right. You know what I mean? And you know, it's funny you say that. Cause I'm actually having this argument with my, my team right now talking about like, we're trying to relaunch restaurant unstoppable network to this 
the, this where we're going with restaurant unstoppable. And the question we're asking is like, who is our target market? Somebody who hasn't opened or somebody who's about to open or, or who, who is open. I'm like 90%. Those are the same people. Most people who are open haven't figured it out yet. They're open, yeah. but they just, they realize like, Oh shit, I'm open and I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Pardon my language again. Yeah. But like yeah. those two people are the same. And I'm trying to encourage people from day one, have your systems processes like there's tools and resources out there today where you can have these things in place before you ever turn the key on, right? Yep. yep. Um, so and listen, also too for any chefs out there that are listening, like you got to make sure you have a good partner. Well, I was somebody say that, that you trust, somebody that understands the business side of it, because you know we're we're, we're chefs and like you know yeah. our brains, you know we're creative totally people. Our brains, it's a different way of thinking, and like you need somebody to like kind of. Pull the reins. Rocket in. fuel. The, the, they call them EOS. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with EOS, but it's the the integrator, the person that's good at the systems and processes that can take your vision and build systems and processes yeah. and, and be your rocket fuel. Um, so you mentioned that when you were opened, you had partners. It was you, the operations person, and there was another person. You said there was the original partners. one was just myself and Chris Blumlow, who was the operations guy. That was Chris. Yeah. Did he survive through? Was he, was he with you the entire time? Chris and I are still partners to this day. I mean, we're about to close shop and, and move, and then he's going to go on to something else. Uh, but, yeah, we had a 15-year run, man. Wow. I mean, it's a long time, especially for two kids that, you know, really just took a chance on, on doing this thing. Yeah. Man. I mean, you know. Um, but, you know, to answer your question, like, you know, at, at this point now, you know, now you had to, like, operate the business and you know you'd be surprised that sometimes when it gets busier you know it doesn't solve everything because now you need more people right <laughs> yeah just, it's just a whole new set of problems you know, but it never changed like as you grow and i don't think people realize that like say you get to five locations right now it's like okay we're gonna go try to go to 20 that's a whole new different organizational structure that's yep. a whole new set of problems yeah, i'm kind of you know in that now you know mm-hmm. what i mean you know you know, you kind of fast forward, you know, um, you know, to where, to where you are now. And to, to your point, like, you know, it's just, it's a different set of problems. You right. know what I mean? Paint and, the picture. Where are you now? You know, so right now I have my own hospitality group, which I started last year. Respect Hospitality. Yeah, it's called Respect respect Hospitality. And um, that entails uh, Restaurant Mark Forgione, Peasant, which we're I, sitting today. Which, I, which we're sitting in, and I bought in... Uh, 2020, um, and one fifth, which we opened a year ago. So those are the three restaurants, and you know I think we would like to bring Peasant in particular to to other locations because um, it's just a very special restaurant that I think no matter where you put it, as long as you can do everything that you know we're looking at, like with the live fire and um, you know the the food that we do, it's like. There's no pretentiousness to it. Like I, you could put it in and fill in the blank of any city, I think. At least that's the plan. But as you were just kind of alluding to, it's a whole different group or set of people that you have to like set up to now go do that. Right. You know, like, And you don't want to just open one because you're, you have to create a team and to do that, it's like you almost have to open three mm-hmm. you need the <laughs> to pay for yeah, the team. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's why you see when people get to that point, they grow so fast because they they have to to yeah. support the, the, the beast. And exactly. also, too, I mean, listen, I, I, I say this to people because back in the day, you know, like it was like, you know, a chef had a restaurant and like that was it. That was their life. That was their career. 
the way that it is now, and this is just New York, like I can't speak for any other cities, but you know, in New York, it's gotten, you know, it's gotten harder since I opened Forge to operate a New York City restaurant. You know, the minimum wages have all gone up. So you bought it in 2020? The Oh, sorry, Forge. No, not peasant, my bad. Yeah, no, just in the last 15 years, like I said, I mean, the minimum wage has gone through the roof. You know, the, now what you pay uh, just a, a line cook, which is great. I'm happy that they're all making money. Trust me. Yeah. But it's just the the things that you used to be able to kind of hang your hat on to kind of make a profit, you know what I mean? They've all kind of gone away. Right. And like, I hate to say it, but like the, you know, I don't know if you've noticed, but New York city is very expensive to eat now. Yeah. I was going to ask, did rent go down after the pandemic? Did what? The rent go down at all after the pandemic when there was a max exodus? No. No. Like if you signed a lease, you got a good lease, but you know, it went right back up. Like there was like a bubble, which I actually got, um, I benefited from being at the right place, right time, and negotiating leases during COVID. So these margins are shrinking. What are you doing to overcome it? Well, that's what I was just trying to get into now is like, and you know, COVID had a funny way, man, of shaking like the tree and like what was stayed in the tree was supposed to be there. And But COVID had a, a way of, sh- at least for me, showing me that you could do more with less. Mm. You know, like Forge is a perfect example. You know, I had, I had an office manager, three front of the house managers, a sous chef, sometimes two sous chefs, a pastry chef, a pastry team. And, you know, now I have, you know, uh, two chefs, two managers and a corporate pastry chef that does all three. So like I just took away almost $400,000 a year in payroll, but we're still operating at a level that is as good as it's ever been. So operationally, what changed? What are you doing different operationally to free up that cash flow? I think it's, like I said, putting more on the people that you have, you know what I mean? Getting the right people that now my managers can do the work that the office manager used to do for the managers, you know what I mean? Are like, there, not to say that my managers weren't working hard enough back then, but, but is it kind of they weren't? <laughs> is it? Is it? Well, yeah. I mean, he's, I think what happens, but is it was it, also because that's how it's drift. You, but it's time. A, but that's it's like that was like the norm. You had an office manager. Every restaurant I've worked at, right? They had an office manager. It's what you knew. That's what I knew. Yeah. I mean, and but we don't do that anymore. You know what I mean? And, well, you're bringing up something really interesting. Like, so did you? Um, so you you're putting more on fewer people. That's coming out of this. I'm hearing that. Correct. Yep. Are the finding pe- and finding people that can handle that and finding people that can handle it. Are there other things you're doing to empower those people? Is it, is it the same set of tools they're working with or are there new resources that you're leveraging? I mean, I think, listen, just myself alone, you know, I'm older and wiser than when I was managing the older teams. You know what I mean? So that in itself. So how are you wiser? What are you doing now that you didn't do with the old team? Uh, this is where I really push pride, man. Yeah, no, it's not not so much what I'm, it's a combination of what I'm doing and what I'm not doing. Like, you know, maybe back then, you know, uh, there was a little more of a party atmosphere. So it was like things kind of got, you know, like it was acceptable. Like, it's okay. You know what I mean? Like, don't worry about it. Like, oh, you're tired? Don't worry. Like, you know, we have plenty of people to cover you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, 
Now it's like we can't mess up. Yeah, yeah. like you know what I'm saying. Like it's just a little uh, cultural shift. Yeah, cultural shift. But you know, I think in a you know it, the the place has grown up with me. Yeah, I'm not the same person I was when I was 35. I'm right. 45 now. You know right. what I mean? Like, and the restaurant I think feels like that. You yeah. know, um, um, and like I said, from a from a culinary perspective, you know, um, I've I've found people that can handle what I need them to handle. You know, I think back then I would just kind of push somebody aside and be like, I'll do it then. You know, I don't care. You know what I mean? Like, um, and like I said, I think the, the pastry thing was, was a big shift, you know, to have one chef for the three restaurants as opposed to having a pastry chef in each restaurant with a pastry team. Right. Like, you got to remember, like, let's just say a pastry chef, $90,000 plus her two or three or him, two or three cooks. Like now you're talking about $220,000 in payroll that now I have split between the three restaurants. Right. Like that alone right. is it's, it's half back, a million dollars when right. you do it with the three restaurants. It's what, you know, when you, when you started this, you know, like it wouldn't, you wouldn't. And I wouldn't have, team. I wouldn't have thought of that when I was younger. Right. But I think it also goes to show that like you can do more with less if you just say like we're going to figure it out. Like when you were it was it just you and your partner and you guys were there 70 hours a week trying to get through that first year. You figured it out. Yep. When we go through hard times, it forces you to figure it out. And then when you come out of those hard times, you're like, we're stronger and we're galvanized. Yep. Like, you know, we figured out how to get lean and we're operating better now. Yep. And I also glazed over something very important. Respect hospitality is in a partnership with another hospitality group called Apre Crew. Okay. And they have, you know, their own resources with, you know, we'll call it accounting and HR and, yes. okay. and, Here's- and all these things that, that you do need um, in, in today's What's restaurant the world. Apre Crew. Apre Crew. So this is something, yeah, this is something that you're just seeing people getting smarter in general. I think that there is a transformation happening right now. Apre Crew. Um, where there's there's companies like this, like Apre Crew, that are coming up where they they stay in their lane, and I I don't think you can do it anymore like they did it 20 years ago, where there's one person with a partner and together, you know, going forward, I think you either need to a find strategic partners like Apre Crew, where they handle where they do what they do, the back back of house. So you can focus on what you do. And it's almost like um, you're seeing like these fractional CFOs and fractional uh, CMOs or fractional accountants where you have one person who does that specific skill set for multiple people. And that's what these groups are. They bring together skill set individuals, create a team of skill set individuals, and they handle the whole back office suite of responsibilities. And you need that. Like I said, today's world, you need HR. Um, you know, today's world, you know, the, there's so much information. Fl- I mean, you know, the, the, the technology now that runs, you know, a, a restaurant where, you know, I mean, listen, when I started, there was handwritten dupes that were yeah. thing and cash and like, yeah. and now, you know, everything is, you know, um, you know, done through systems and programs and, yeah, the, you know, the, the, the systems are now digitized. Yep. Everything. The, and you're, you know, I'm like, I'm trying not to be pitchy, man. I, I don't want to sound pitchy, but like right now I'm going like, and I'm, I'm kind of getting vulnerable here and opening up. Um, we're going through this, like this phase of like, what's the future of restaurant unstoppable? And like after over a thousand interviews, like I need to pick a 
like something that I believe in and start telling people like, this is what I would do. Mm -hmm. But the truth is after a thousand interviews, there's so many different ways to run a restaurant and not one way is the right way. It all depends on who is the person running the restaurant and their vision and their values and their strengths and their weaknesses. With all that in mind, it's like, I have to ask myself, what am I, Eric Cacciatore, doing tomorrow if I'm, if I'm opening a restaurant? And like the point that you're making, there's tools and resources today. You don't have to do it all alone. Like you can partner with companies, whether it's a toast or whether it's a restaurant systems pro, that there's technology that you can put in place of people or at least give your people the tools so they can do more. Yep. So you don't need 10 people to do the job. You need two people because they have tools and resources that, yeah. that you know. Supplement. And again, I, I said it before too. You have to find the right people that can do more, you know what I mean, right. than, than, than it was back in the day. Like, you know. What do like, you mean by that? Like, how many read between the lines? Just like, like I said, instead of having two sous chefs, you have one, and that one sous chef has to be really good. Yeah. Got you know what I mean? Instead of having two sous chefs that are good, you have one that's really good. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, you know, then you, you have the. And, and, and making sure that you, you, you help him and making sure that, you know, the, he has, to your point, too, the tools that are all set up to, to, to make it go. Right. You know I mean? Right. Um, I mean, so if we have 15 or less than 15 minutes together, right, we'll say 10 more minutes together. I am curious. This is the, something I want to start talking about. Where is the industry headed and what are you doing to be there when the industry gets to wherever it's headed? Uh, that's a good question, man. Where is it headed? Um, I mean, you know, it, it, I'm trying to like, you know, kind of talk about New York. Like you, you said it before and like, I think I'll kind of echo what you said. You know, it's tough in today's world for like somebody to do what Chris and I did. And what I mean by that is like, you know, just mom and pop, raise money from friends and family and, you know, open a 60 seat restaurant and cross your fingers and hope everything works out. Like, it's just, it's tougher these days to, to do that. Is it because Uh, of the increase in operational expenses? Yes. And rent. And you know, when, when I, when I opened Forge, the rent was 14,500 bucks. It's now 34. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like the minimum wage back then, you know, it, it was, it's tripled, you know what I mean? So like, you know, you have to, like, it's just, it's harder to, to do all that. You know what I mean? Like we opened that restaurant for a million bucks. Again, we discussed, probably should have raised 1.5, but you know, the, the new restaurant that I'm about to do, you know, cost almost four, right? Like $4 million. Like that, that's not like, you know, it, it, you can't get that from mom and pop friends and family. Like, you right. know, it's just, so that's what I mean by like, I just don't know if the future like, you know, entails like mom and pop restaurants, which I think is kind of sad in a way, you know what I mean? But well, you also have to find people that have money, like let's say like a business partner that wants to have that mom and pop restaurant. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I kind of look at peasant as, you know, a mom and pop restaurant. Like, you know, I, I bought it from Frank at a beyond reasonable <laughs> key money. And, um, you know, I did it before I had Apri crew, you know, my, my sister's the general manager, you know, my dad helps find ingredients. Um, you know, the chef has been here since day one. Um, you know, I kept the crew that he had, 
you know, and it's, it, you know, it's, it's kind of like as close to a mom and pop restaurant as you can get to in modern day world. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I kind of agree with you and, you know, my, so restaurant Unstoppable's mission statement, I try to echo it as much as possible is to inspire, empower, and transform. Really it's to change the world through inspiring, empowering, and, and transforming the restaurant industry. And I believe that if we can transform the restaurant industry. We have this industry, second largest industry behind healthcare. And we touch so many people, you know what I mean? We have hundreds of people coming through our doors, the front doors every day. And like, you know, thousands of people over the lifetime of your restaurant coming through the back door. You know what I'm saying? We have the ability to influence and transform the next generation of professionals, you know, and those people are going to go on to go on to other industries. If they come into the professional workplace with high standards in systems and processes and culture and healthcare and like all these things take care of your people, yep. this industry can change the world. I full heartedly believe yeah. that. Um, but I think, I think it does. It does. It's happening right now. And I think I, I share your sentiment with, there is a change in the days of mom and pops are getting harder and harder because, because you, you need to be so good at what you do today to compete because we're getting like the big, the big guys are getting so efficient and how do you compete with those resources and how do you compete with the resources they have to go digitize and, and not only have the resources within the four walls, but to take that service digitally and, it, and it's about throughput, right? How do you compete with all that? I think the only way to do it is with strategic partners. And I'm going to go out on record here. And like, if I'm opening a restaurant tomorrow, I'm, I'm investing in technology that replaces people. I'm not saying I'm replacing people, but I'm giving, I'm making it possible for fewer people to do more. Yeah. You have to, well, again, as I just said, you have to, yes, it's, it's impossible. The only way. It's impossible to have like a fully loaded staff these days. You know, um, the way that the way that you used to have, you yeah. know what I mean? And but again, you just find the right people like right. it's that's the most important. I mean, it always kind of has been the most important part is you find the right, right. people. So you and you, with all the technology and the systems and all that stuff, which I agree you need. It doesn't matter if they're not the right people running. it. And, yeah. you know, something that, you know, trust me, I preach until I'm blue in the face, like, you know, making sure that it's not just like the VIP quote unquote VIPs that you treat like VIPs <coughs> like good old fashioned hospitality in my opinion has like never been more important oh man why because because well a because I believe in it and that's the most important part I always have I always tell people your job is to make people smile whether you're a dishwasher or the general manager like your job is to make people smile and if you can't do that you take the systems and shove them up your ass. Like, mm -hmm. It's not going to work. Like that's first, and, fo first yeah. and foremost. But in today's world, you know, everybody has a platform to be a critic as well. Right. <laughs> a lot of truth so to that. It's like, you know, I mean, trust me, I, I, I start my day as much as I hate to admit it. I, I'm, I read all the reports, you know, and reviews. How and healthy thing. is that? As long as you take what you can take constructively out of it. You know what I mean? If it's somebody like, this place sucks, the chef has a stupid haircut, and you know, it's like, okay, <laughs> like like, skip. You know what I mean? You just skip, <laughs> like, like, whatever. But you know, if you have somebody that's like, you know, we had a great experience, but you know, my, I couldn't find my server for 20 minutes. Like, that's great, you team. know? Yeah, you can, it's not like you fire the person, but you come in, you sit down, and you say, look, what happened last night, by the way? Because table 21 said that, you know, da 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 da. And they, I was really in the weeds, chef. I'm sorry. Like, like, you know what I mean? You can like build off it. So 
But because of that is what I'm trying to get at. Like, you know, if you don't have a 4.5 star rating, you know, I mean, listen. That's a 90% rating for the record. I, I don't and know. 4.5 sounds so much worse than 90%, but in our minds, we're like, oh, it's not five. But my point is like, and you know, I, you know, like my little brother, like you know, when we're traveling together, that's, that's what he does. He goes and looks at reviews. I, I mean, I'm on the road that's constantly how, too. That's how he goes to eat. Yeah. You probably do it too. Like, I, I'm guilty. Yeah. And if what's well, not guilty, it's the way the world is. And so like if you don't have that 4.5, like. Yeah. You're, you're screwed. This is why I'm talking to people like Adam Gilt from owner.com because like he, I just interviewed him recently and I was honestly blown away because this guy's a savant when it comes to marketing. He was a millionaire by the time he was like 14 years old. Like he's just one of these people who's on, a, who operates on a different wavelength. And like, he's like, people are wasting their time on social media and doing like, like all that matters right now is how easy is it for you to be discovered? Like put all of your energy right now. Most important thing, website and SEO and like Google, like maps, like that's where all of your traffic comes from. And yeah. you need to own that SEO. Like that's the most important thing. We put so much energy into like doing dances on social media. And it's just like that, <laughs> that platform isn't geared towards local marketplaces. It's global marketplaces. Like unless you're in New York where people come here all the time, like there really isn't much sense to be yeah. on social. Media. I hate social media. It's horrible, man. It's destroying the world. This has been a lot of fun, dude. We're going to start wrapping up the conversation and asking you these, uh, these coined questions I ask at the end of every interview. So, um, what's one thing about your business values, process systems that's uncommon that makes you unstoppable? Honestly, not to beat a dead horse here, but I think the way that we respect yeah. each other, the way we respect the guests, the way we respect the ingredients, the, you know, just the, it's like fill in the blank after the word respect. Yeah. And we, we really try to like live that, that mantra. And, you know, to be candid, when I told my partners that I wanted to name it respect, they were worried. <laughs> they were like, well, that puts a lot of pressure on us, don't you think? And I was like, you goddamn right it does. That's the whole point of language. Yeah. Right? You know, a, I love that, man. Um, what is... So if our mission statement is to uh, change the world through inspiring, empowering, and tra transforming the restaurant industry, how have you personally transformed? Who are you today versus the man you were when you got started? Yeah, listen, I, I keep using the, the analogy of like the pirate ship. And, you know, I think uh, even when I first opened Forge, you know, I was still kind of like the the drunken pirate, you know, kind of maybe I was in charge of, you know, <laughs> the lookout from up top and... You know, now I'm more of the, the seasoned, you know, captain making sure that, you know, the the ship is, is sailing the, the right way and understanding that I'm responsible for everybody that's on the ship. I love that. Um, and this is the last question before we officially wrap up, and it's a doozy, so keep your ears open. Uh, if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? I already know one of them. Well, follow your gut. One. Um, you know, again, take the word respect yep. and just fill in the blank. Like It doesn't matter what it is. You know, and three, um, you know, if, if you're going to be in this business, you know, or if you're going to be a restaurant owner, make sure you love it. Mm. Cause if you like it, don't do it. Yeah. If you think it's cool, don't do it. If you think it's fun, like don't do it. Like you have to absolutely love being in the restaurant business. 
This has been a lot of fun, man. Thank you so much. You were a great guest. I really enjoy speaking with you. Uh, I'm trying to make Restaurant Unstoppable's North Star this next question, which is who do you respect and admire? Somebody that you knew if they were a guest on the show, they would offer a perspective, knowledge, wis- wisdom. Like You would absolutely tune into those to, to that episode or those episodes if you have more than one person. I was about to say, so so I, I, I've done this... Um, this like fun event here a couple times called uh, playing with fire. And I got to meet some people that I've always been a fan of, but never like got to like be around close and personal. Um, and uh, a couple of them, one was, one was Wiley Dufresne. I don't know if you've, if you've done anything no. with Wiley, but like, you know, he's just like a wealth of, of knowledge and experience. And uh, he just opened a pizza place of all things. And he's like, you know, he was known for like bringing molecular gastronomy to, to New York. And now he's, you know, doing some of the best pizza in New York. Like he's just such a cool. What's cat. the name of his pizza place? Stretch. Stretch. Um, and then kind of on the opposite spectrum, um, you know, was, was Dave Pasternak. I don't know if you're familiar with Esco. Dave it's Pasternak. Not, it's not open anymore. Super familiar. So he's like the fish whisperer. Okay. Uh, he had a res- he had a seafood restaurant called Esca for years. Okay. It closed during COVID. Um, but you want to talk about somebody that knows fish? I mean, it was just like like it made me feel like embarrassed that I'm a chef because of the knowledge that he <laughs> he had about salmon alone. You know what I mean? It's just I like re- God. <laughs> Dude, chefs can be very humbly individuals if you start talking about food, man. Um, but Dave, look out. Wiley, look out. I'm coming after you. Anybody else? That am I cutting you short? I mean, it could be 100 people. I, you know, But like those are just kind of fresh on my mind because we just did this this playing with fire yeah, thing. And, um, you know, honestly, man, if you want to do an old school one, like, you know, my, my dad could tell you stories that, you know, you wouldn't believe of what they had to go through in the 80s to get, you know, farm fresh food in the restaurant. I'd love to make that like, happen. Like, you really wouldn't believe it. Like, you know, the, it's it's right now, you know, we can I can take you to Whole Foods, we yeah. can go get something. Yeah. Back then, you know, they, they had they had a car that they had to go drive to the airport to like get, you know, asparagus from Michigan. Like it was like it's crazy to, to wrap your head around. So that's Wiley Dufresne, Dave Pasternak, and Larry Forgium. Look out, I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you guys on the show. And um, how can we connect with you if we like we're just inspired by you and we enjoyed listening to your conversation? Maybe we want to come work for you and you know learn from you. What's the best way to connect? Uh, I mean, just go to the website. Um, you know, it's um, oh, Jesus, I don't even know. I think it's respecthospitality.com. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't even know if that's up yet, but um, you well, know. Just look up Prospect Hospital. Yeah, check, we'll the, have a link in check the show out notes. the restaurant's <laughs> uh, website. There's a, there's a link there for, um, you know, careers. Um, you know, but we're always looking for great, hungry people, like I said, that, that love the restaurant business. Yeah, and this is episode 1043. Head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 1043 for a summary of today's discussion, a link to any tools or services recommended on the show, and how to connect. Uh, we'll, have the, we'll try to get the most recent uh, website over there for you guys. And this is where I say thank you so much, Mark. There is no questioning, my man. You are unstoppable. Thanks, guys. Cheers. <laughs> 
There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Chef Mark Forgione, for coming on and sharing your story and sharing your perspective. And one thing you said to me today really resonated, this idea that as the cost of goods, your 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 cost of goods, like your food costs and your labor, your prime costs go up, we're going to have to be smarter about how we run our restaurants. We're going to have to, like he said, do more with less. And for him that is working with a, a company that specializes in back of house operations that does that work for you so he can focus on what he does, the food and building the culture. But what about other restaurants that aren't Michelin star chefs or James Beard award winners or things like this who don't have that, that almost like clout, that fame to sell seats in their restaurant? Like, what are you going to do to find these partners? I think the answer is in technology. I think you need to learn how to automate and streamline your systems. And honestly, like, and I'm going on record and saying this, uh, if I, Eric Cacciatore, in o- am opening a restaurant tomorrow and going from zero to five restaurants in five years or less, and I need to lean on systems, I'm going with Restaurant Systems Pro. And I want you to, and I want to go on record and say, like, I am so scared saying that out loud because I have fear of selling out. And I was worried that if I said something like this, people were going to think I'm going to sell out. But the truth is, I've just been really impressed with this organization. And after the interviews I've done and the, uh, the knowing myself, who I am, how much I don't like systems and processes and building that stuff, I don't want to worry about it. And I really do think you need to lean on that technology going into the future. So uh, right now, I'm going public with this. Um, we are relaunching Restaurant Unstoppable Network, and we have invested $4,000 to get a coach to teach us how to build different tiers and how to add value in the network. I have hired a community manager, Callum Miola. She is back from maternity leave. Uh, we have other people coming on to help out, and we're partnering. We're collaborating with different people to help d- deliver this value because you cannot do it alone. And we're going to have, right now, I can say at least three tiers. I can't say much about what's going to be in those tiers, but I can give an idea. The first tier is just going to be a content library. So right now, if you go to Restaurant Unstoppable, um, it's you're overwhelmed. There's over a thousand episodes of content and you don't know where to start. So we're going to organize all that content by type of restaurant, whether it be fast, casual, quick service, fine dining, uh, you know, whatever, maybe it's a pop-up, maybe it's a food truck. We're going to order, got organize it by those categories. We're also going to organize it by how big the restaurant group is. We're also going to organize it by where these restaurants are located. So what's going to happen is you can get far, far more intentional with your listenership. So uh, that is going to be at tier one, our most accessible tier. And we still haven't figured out what the prices on these things are going to be, but I I can tell you right now, I want that one to be in reach of most restaurant owners because it's my job to get this information out. Tier two is going to be community. So now you don't have to do it alone. We're going to have live events. We're going to have different ways to get access to other people going through what you're going through. And we're going to build a community around these biggest lessons we're learning. And tier, I think that was actually tier two. If I said tier three, I apologize. Tier three is going to be more live coaching type stuff. Live coaching with me. We're going to be focusing on four buckets. We're going to be focusing on system. We're going to be focusing on people. We're going to be focusing on marketing. And we're going to be focusing on that thing between your ears, your brain, and how does it work, the human factors, and understanding you. Because behind every great restaurant is a great person. And you will never make it in this industry until you figure yourself up or figure yourself out so you can lift yourself up. And then from there, you can lift up other people. So that's what's going to be happening at Restaurant Unstoppable Network. And right now, between now and when this episode goes live, if you sign up for Restaurant Unstoppable Network before the end of the year, we're going to honor the 
$29.99 a month rate. And if you do the year, will, it will be only $300. You also will get a hat. You will get a shirt, a restaurant unstoppable shirt, a restaurant unstoppable hat, and a restaurant unstoppable mug. And we're trying to get as many people into the network to prime this thing because it is going to be next level. And we're so excited to be announcing this. Um, so there, I said it. Um, if you go to the show notes, restaurantstoppable.com slash 1043, we'll have a link to sign up for Restaurant Unstoppable Network. Um, we haven't launched the full package yet. So know that when you all those things I just announced, those are coming. Um, we're trying to prime the engine because this is going to take resources and we need your support. So we are psyched um, to be doing this. We can't wait to meet you. And this is going to be a game changer for us and what we're able to do. Uh, and, and it's because of you. So thank you so much for your support. And then uh, I just want to say, uh, I want to be better about letting you know. So I don't know if you knew this, but I am, as of this week, I am 100% full-time living on the road. And I'm kind of living out of my car right now in very, very sketchy and cheap Airbnbs. Uh, so if you are willing to host me until I can get into a more permanent RV situation, uh, I would be extremely grateful for you. I need to kind of go where I have the support and go where I have the network so I can continue to the deliver this two episodes a week and I can do it on a budget so I can save some money for a down payment and um, any support from this community to help see through this vision of inspiring, empowering and transforming the industry is so greatly appreciated. And um, I just, I'm so psyched for the future. Thank you to the people who make this possible. Thank you to Jared Parisi for your copyright and editing. Thank you, Callan Miola for your work as our community manager. And thank you, Anna Tazen for all of your support along the way with your executive counsel and marketing support um, and advice. And I'm so grateful for my team. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.